Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. This is Jay. And I couldn't think of a single <laughs> iconic line that I could shoehorn my name into uh, in either of the two movies. Not a single one. So I'm just Shanna. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, first up <laughs> this week, we have, man, what a movie. Actually, first, before we get into the movie, I do have, uh, we, we haven't done this in quite a while, an error or sin of omission when I was editing the uh, discussion on Logan's run last week. I, I was talking about when he's going undercover and how he's so bad at it. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I was mentioning the other movie from like the 40s where this guy tries to go undercover or is sent undercover by the Treasury Department to investigate money laundering. And <clears throat> pretty much every time he shows up with any bad guy, he's like, uh, so what about the money laundering, you know, because <laughs> he just like has no capability of subterfuge whatsoever. Uh, and and I, I cited Raw Deal. The movie I meant was T-Men, uh, you know, short for Treasury Men. You know, oh, okay. it, sort of like their version of the G-Man, uh, the, oh. the FBI. Yeah, a weird movie, but yeah, I recommend. Oh, cool. For being just kind of heightened and absurd. Like, the, this guy isn't supposed to be comic in that he cannot go undercover, but it is the problem he encounters. Is he's just completely <laughs> capable of being undercover. Well, I'm here to find out about the illicit drug dealings. Yeah, it's like that, except, you know, he's he's looking for uh, uh, money counterfeiters. Counterfeit money. <laughs> anyway, our first film this week is uh, our, our return to Bertrand Mandico. This is his next film after The Wild Boys. Uh, and it's called After Blue, also known as Dirty Paradise. What the hell is this movie? Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Well, maybe it makes sense on paper. It's uh, a post-apocalypse where uh, we all had to go to another planet. All the dudes died, which, you know. Well, it's it's not. It's, it's more complex than that. This is just one of many off-world colonies. Oh, I missed that detail. Yeah. So that. The, that's part of it is that this movie is incredibly dense with lore <laughs> and and it doesn't give it to you very uh, frequently. It's just kind of hidden in the corners, kind of like with Logan's run last week. Mm, yeah. So like it, it starts with just this psychedelic space imagery, which is so beautiful. Uh, and we have this echoing voice who sort of serves as the narrator for the movie. But I guess she's interrogating Roxy somewhere. That's I thought she was I thought the narrator slash voice was Kate Bush somehow at first, but I and mean, it might, in, it, it it's not be. impossible. Yeah. <laughs> did you watch all the way through the credits, by the way? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. OK, uh, so we'll get to help. that at the end. But yeah, I, I just yeah, I mean, it's something you needed to see. But it's I needed to see. <laughs> it made me understand even less, but I needed to see it. Yeah, yeah. So there's this this voice who seems to be questioning Roxy about the the sequence of events because she seems to be testifying about this. That's what it seems like. Yeah. I, I thought actually no, at first at first, before I even knew about Kate Bush or anything, I thought this was an alien. I mean, that, that would be perfectly reasonable, too. It could be. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be an alien. We don't ever definitively find out. Because there are aliens. Oh, are there? <laughs> They're uh, curious, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get to those. So Earth is dying, and off-world colonization has begun. Uh, for for whatever reason, it, it starts with her questioning Roxy, but then it goes into just this series of women's faces and voices who all sort of give a backstory for the planet. And it's all heavily overlapping and dense. There's a lot. I, I thought maybe these were like Roxy at different ages or or a whole bunch of people are being questioned about the events, but that would make sense because not a whole lot of people survived. No, like roughly none. Uh, like <laughs> couple, uh, but like, that that's just that one village though i guess but uh, well, it's, yeah. i i don't know like it it could be these are ghost testimonies cuz we do have a lot of ghosts in this movie as well that's true ghosts are a big thing ghosts and witches and lesbians and aliens and lsd and, and ants ants uh <laughs> yeah there's there's some crazy shit in this i assume that this is sort of like uh, a historical clip <laughs> you know it, this is the the various uh, women who colonized the planet and giving that backstory uh but so it's the, a planet called after blue and it seemed like paradise because uh, <laughs> looking at this planet i'm like uh is the definition of paradise capable technically capable of surviving here with a lot of help well th th it's it has uh, water, it has vegetation, and it has animals that are not really major predators. Like, no, none of the animals are all that dangerous. True-ish. Yeah. I mean, like, there, there's really only... The, the only ones that seem uh, all that dangerous potentially are the Ents, which are the Indiums, uh, with an M at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't... Yeah, we don't really know what their deal is. They seem like basically just ants, but like they are, uh, they can be huge. They seem to be trees, uh, but they are alive <laughs> and they have some sort of psychic link or effect on people. They're able to yeah. hypnotize people, but it, it doesn't necessarily seem like when they do that, they're doing anything dangerous to them. It, it, people seem no. to enjoy it. No, the Ents don't seem inherently harmful. Just something that, like, could maybe be harmful. Right. In I mean, certain they, circumstances. Because they're big. They they seem like they could be threatening. But, you know, that that's like the Ents in Lord of the Rings. You know, they're, they're trees, so they're big. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, yeah, so that's sort of their explanation is that, like, it has all the necessary stuff. It's... I... Weather-wise, not maybe the best, but it doesn't seem awful, and it it is beautifully picturesque. Yeah, it's it's like beautifully gross. It um, is gross. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> One I, thing I, is like, as I said in the chat, uh, grody avatar. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is one of the very few planets or like science fiction things where it really, really feels like it takes place on a different planet and not just earth with muppets yeah and it's a lot of different environments like because they they go on this trek but 
it they they all feel consistent like they do all sort of feel consistent in design and part of this same planet right yeah so they they establish an exclusively agrarian society they they've decided no electricity or machines uh except for the electric razors that they all carry or no not that they all carry sorry that the hairdressers carry only the hairdresser and and it's more of a lightsaber <laughs> it's yeah. like a little mini lightsaber that they use to shave with and nothing else <laughs> shaving is super important to this world and i missed why uh well there there's a couple things so uh, uh first they they mention how they all live in segregated uh sem- like singular nationality mini communes yeah they mentioned they have all these like laws that must be upheld so that the same thing that happened to earth doesn't happen to this planet and of course anyone who deviates from the law what is it like they say they must root out evil before it can take root or something yeah like it it says definitely about rooting it out like and and kind of removing it from the community uh and so that's kind of ultimately what they end up having to do uh like our main characters are tasked with it it does feel like it's uh you know just a recipe for witch trials and witch hunts though and it 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 turns out well it, it seems significant that they are very witchy in design like all of our characters mm-hmm. uh so they they imported horses and they moved a bunch of people in the men all died off uh and this was a hair thing yeah the men's hair grew <clears throat> on the under on the inside of their skin or something man death by ingrown hair would be awful Ooh, yeah <laughs> what a way to go uh, yeah, their their hairs grew inward and it killed all of them. Uh, and the the only different like women can survive the environment, but they grow neck beards heavily. <laughs> they do. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's sort of an important function in society is the uh, local hairdresser. And they they've imported sperm from Earth just like the horses, so that that's how uh, they get pregnant like they they self-inseminate and i guess they just don't give birth to boys or the boys just die instantly i guess so that doesn't really get talked about not something ever mentioned no uh so roxy in her overlay form where like you you have her face filling the screen and just like red and green gel colors you know from either side Mm -hmm. uh says uh, yeah, my name is Roxy, but uh, the girls all called me Toxic. And then it cuts back to, like, the main story, finally. And uh, it has her, that echoing and echoing. Oh, man. This, so this beach, <laughs> uh, at first I was expecting this planet to turn out to be Earth all along. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> nope. pretty clear right away. Very, uh, very much not Earth all along. It's all glittery. There's this beautiful pink haze that just like completely fills the sky. Mm-hmm. Like there's like heavy winds with glitter blowing everywhere. Like maybe gold <laughs> dust could be. And there there's like these alien outcroppings that it seems like foam that has turned to stone. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> that's the cool thing about how like the visuals of this stuff just trying to imagine what all this stuff 
is and like how, how it functioned or how it evolved to become this way because this is like the whole completely different ecosystem that we know nothing about and i'm just imagining like yeah there's a lot of stuff that seems organically grown but it's an inorganic item yeah like like the like these rock these rock outcroppings yeah look like they could just be they could have been trees that bent over and petrified or or but it doesn't look like they are trees it it looks like they just formed out of the beach like they're stalactites but like of foam uh, or like just beach material and at, at first it looks like it's taking place in a desert until you realize through the pink haze that there's waves on, in the distance mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's like these amethyst clusters like clusters of uh it, it looks like amethyst because it's all purple and pink but it you know crystals just growing yeah. out of the ground everywhere too uh so we we have our girls our, or uh roxy's friends friends uh, they are referred referred to as her friends uh she continues to refer to them as her friends but they don't seem to like her her them yeah she she's just kind of in the same area as them really not hanging out with them or trying to interact with them in any way right because we first just see them and they're all like drunk with a shotgun firing it on the beach and like kind of playfully fighting over it and making out oh and lots of lesbian making out lots of making out uh there there's it's just uh very free sexuality obviously uh but yeah they're, and they're all drunk they're just shooting a shotgun making out fighting over the gun to just like shoot it into the air there's not a lot to do here I guess not. It's it's like a, a Puritans, but with sex. Like <laughs> that, That's what this whole society reminds me of. Well, I, I think it's very Old West, where there's just a lot of empty space and kind of an untamed wilderness, and there's maybe dangerous stuff if you get into it. And it's sort of like, what do you do if you're a teenager? <laughs> just like... Shoot guns, make out. Shoot guns, I don't know. Make out, masturbate a lot. There's a lot of a masturbation. A lot. This is our going to be the most masturbation centric one since uh, the adaptation masturbating gunman double bill. <laughs> <laughs> this this one gives that a run for its money. It does. It goes for it. Uh, so, like we we see them doing that for a while and roxy just walks into the foreground like they're in the the background of the shot and she's like walks in and says the exact same thing that had been echoing from her saying it before it's like my name's roxy but uh my friends call me toxic uh and they find this buried person but at first they think it's just a severed head <laughs> hey, like pick look, it up severed head on the beach let's let's pick it up and let's fuck with it or let's just shoot it yeah like one of them pees on her yeah and then like you know the the head starts cursing them it's like hey you know what, what are you doing and uh they all like leave to go skinny dipping while roxy just stays to talk to the head and the head's like uh get me out of here and i'll give you three wishes 
I'll grant your hidden desires. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, not not like wishes that she can say. She's like, I know what you want, and I'm going to give it to you. It turns out to be more like what I wanted than I'm going to twist it to make it seem like it's what you wanted. I mean, it, it's. <sighs> I, I it feels very in the moment at any time because I I don't think she ever gets the third one but uh, the I, th- uh, I w- we'll get to it but I think she did get the third one in a way yeah you know actually come to think of it yes uh, but she didn't know about it uh, yeah. and it, it's sort of the the hidden ending thing yeah I, I do miss what the second one was though but we'll, well, we'll get yeah, to that too because she directly says it to her and and that's one i think is very in the moment uh unless it is actually the other thing in which case she never did but she, so she's been left to be drowned by the tide uh by her polish people like she's from the polish section and i man i think it's crazy that like we've got this whole new planet that we're colonizing we've got rid of all the dudes and we're just doing the same shit it's it's very strange the the nationalist uh mini communes thing is very unusual uh very segregated uh although not color segregated or anything it's because uh i think a couple of her group of friends are of color right um at least one of them two of them might be yeah yeah no it's it's hard to tell because most of the movie they spend covered in gold glitter and in like (laughs) the black and white dead zone right yeah Uh, spoiler alert these guys are gonna die i mean Um, immediately (laughs) immediately yeah (laughs) no it's like it's segregated based on earth countries but you're not on earth anymore why do you care about that that's part of the problem you guys yeah it's based on ethnicity like past background so like yeah the there this is the polish area that i guess they're next to they're, they seem to must be very close to it because i don't know why they would be burying one of their people in this on, on this beach if they're not real close by uh maybe because they wanted to make sure she didn't come back to them i guess uh maybe. but a lot of stuff in this movie doesn't have a logical answer there, there's stuff that's like hard hard to say but yeah, Roxy, ultimately, she takes pity, so she does unearth her. And a very interesting shot, like, she reaches into the sand, and it's, like, a transparency, and, and like, we, we just show her reaching down as if through water. Oh, yeah, like, like it kind of looks like she's, like, yeah, reaching through, like, underneath, uh, uh, from underneath, like, an ice, like a frozen lake kind of deal. But it's like all gold and like yeah. again, like glittery, uh, and a hairy witch arm reaches up to meet hers. <laughs> yeah, it's right around here that the music starts like being all like dramatic and stuff. And I don't know if it was just how high I was or something, but like the the way the synth music makes goes, it makes it sound like it's whispering, "Oh, oh shit." Oh, oh shit! It is possible. I I don't know. I didn't notice that personally, but yeah, maybe. Uh, I love the music in this. Just really great heavy synth stuff all through. Mm. And and like so, Kate Bush. This is Kate Bush. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll soon find out. Uh, She sits up 
in and we first see her like in the dreamscape there there's sort of like two layers of reality within this world there there's like this layer of dreams and death that seems to sort of be very closely uh, aligned with the world of the living i i figured it's because of all the uh from all the mushrooms i figured it was all like the spores lsg lsd is just in the atmosphere on this planet it's kind of what i figured yeah, yeah like it is a psychedelic planet there it, it just seems to be really full of spores and everyone's kind of tripping all the time and and that honestly explains a whole lot of it how really things go down uh, and just the way everyone's kind of really horny. Uh, like, there is a point where someone gets an attack of the hornies. It, it made me flashback to Cinderella 2000. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, Kate Bush, she sits up in the dreamscape and, and she's like golden and clean. Uh, and then we see her muddy and naked in the real world and like barely recognizable. Covered in like sparkling sand. My first thought when I saw her face was like, oh, this is what Trevor would look like with skin. Oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, the the imaginary glitter skull uh, Trevor from the Wild Boys. Their their God, their little Trevor. boutique God, Trevor. And and she uh, takes the shotgun and she kills the three friends. A really cool uh, depiction of these. The, there's like neon x-ray dayglow flashes with the bullets flying and with the like the 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 impact of the bullets mm-hmm. while well, the music is still going oh shit oh yeah <laughs> and then she starts making out with roxy very forcefully very aggressively mm-hmm. uh roxy doesn't uh, seem to mind though she's really ready to acquiesce to making out with most anyone even when they're really gross so i don't know <laughs> there's there's later points when she does she's I, I, very very uh repressed i think passive she she seems extremely passive oh that too that too definitely she, uh, she does not drive the plot along at all she is someone who runs away from her problems mm. <laughs> uh very very literally in in certain points uh, but yeah, they're they're making out. The glitter is rubbing off on Roxy. There's just blue, red, green lights and gels flashing around her. Uh, her the the witch arm claws her shoulder, but like erotically, not <laughs> you know. It's uh, like she she gives her like a bunch of scratches, but you know it's it's supposed to be sexy. It's not yeah. It's not uh, uh, violent. Uh, and Roxy falls to her knees where she sees Kate Bush's third eye. <laughs> Which is right uh, right in her crotch. Yeah, just just like on the pudenda, uh, just uh, uh, an eye staring at her and like darting around. Uh, and and like suddenly it's dark. It's, it's gone totally dark while, while they've been making out. And she says, I'm Kate Bush. And she takes the gun and is like, the first wish was to rid yourself of your friends. It's like, I just wanted them to leave me alone, that's all. <laughs> yeah, well, I interpreted your wish the way I wanted to. That's how wishes work. Yeah, and they don't leave her alone, ultimately. <laughs> they do <laughs> doesn't not. Work out. If anything, they probably bother her more now that they're dead. Because they could just show up any time. 
I mean, they probably could even then. This seems like a really small town. Yeah, that's true. And she seems to live under the house. I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll I think that. that's. I, I don't think that's her house. It's. I think it's her secret masturbation dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. It feels very built for that, but it's also right under the floorboards, and I don't know where she sleeps otherwise. But yeah, synthwave just pumping, uh, and flames consume the screen, and then we see the bereaved mothers who look like witches. Everybody's dressed like witches. Yeah, everybody in this is dressed like a witch or like kind of like a frontier pioneer type person. It's actually really cool. Yeah, it's kind of like a combination of the two a lot of the time. And and sort of like a weird hyper futuristic version of both, usually with lots of neon appointments. Mm -hmm. Like the the head witch has like those white Christmas lights that she wears. Uh, the, the icicle lights. This is so great. Yeah. <laughs> Over her I there was coat. No, I thought there was no <laughs> electricity, but she gets she gets her Christmas lights. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, they, they must be powered by something in the air, by the pure psychedelic energy of the planet. Uh, I believe it. <laughs> so the these three women, they, they all wail and drop to their knees, which is like, oh, okay, so these are obviously the bereaved mothers. And then we see all the militia ladies, uh, and and their outfit is amazing. Uh, with the they have the big wide brim witches hats with blue lights, like lots of them under the brim. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're yeah. like drops of water, mm-hmm. like the the lights, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's really and they like they've got these black coats. I think one of them's got like a plague doctor mask. I think a lot of them like they they all have. Uh, gas masks of some sort. Like, I think one of them does have the mask and then the others just have translucent gas masks, but with, like, blue neon outlines on all of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of blue neon. Uh, and a veil over everything, a big black veil. Yes. And all of them have glasses and they have little blue uh, underlighting just on the top corners. <laughs> it's so extra. I love it. <laughs> and all of them have just like really old school rifles, like you know, uh, old west style, of course. But all the rifles in this universe, all the guns are named after like fashion designers. Yeah, uh, which is weird. There's a, a Paul Smith. There's a Gucci. There's a Chanel. Yeah. So uh, Roxy's mom is Zora, who is the local hairdresser. Uh, and the town is all boycotting her. Uh, bec- they've decided to just not shave uh, and forgo propriety just because they're pissed off at uh, Roxy. Yeah, they're pissed off at Roxy, so they take it out of the mom, but they take it out of the mom by not shaving. Yeah, well, because she's the one who does the yeah. shaving. Yeah. Uh, and she's got kind of a... Uh, uh, a Zatoichi vibe. You know, everybody, you know, pretty much everybody she encounters wants to get a shave from her. That's true. Um, <laughs> she, in that regard, anyways, I, I kind of go back and forth on whether or not I think the mom is a good person or whether or not she sucks. Yeah, she's conflicted, definitely. She's complicated. She's trying, but, like, it's a bad, bad situation, I guess. Yeah. I, I, she seems to maybe have a thing going with this one lady that's secret and it's never mentioned. And then 
because I'll, I'll get to it in a bit. There, there's a couple things that I question. Uh, but, right. like, I, I love their house. It's like if the Wachowskis or maybe Jean-Pierre Jeunet designed Hobbiton or, like, Bilbo Baggins' <laughs> house. Oh, my God, totally. Because <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it looks like something in Zion, but, like, if Zion is where Bilbo Baggins lived, it's very strange. Like, <laughs> dystopian, but kind of cozy. <laughs> You know that they come up to a, a house later in the wild that first made me think of a Hobbit house too. Oh yeah, totally. But uh, you know, an alien Hobbit house. Yeah, and again, very Wachowskis with that one because it's got the red glass that seems to have grown out of the ground. But I'll, I'll we'll talk about that when we get oh, to. Oh yeah. So so Roxy crawls under the house to to her like. <laughs> I don't know. Her cubby space. Masturbation dungeon. It, I mean, yeah, she she has this pack of caterpillars <laughs> they're but they're joints that you smoke uh, they're you alive smoke them alive yeah and they're like they're in a pack like four of them and like you just pull one out and it's moving and she lights it up and smokes it it screams yeah uh and and you know she's smoking and masturbating she's looking at these pictures of naked girls that are in these uh, glowing like plates. Glass. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it look like stained glass. It's like stuck on the underside of the floor. With like light shining through to them, though. Like they all glow. Somehow. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be an actual stained glass window. Yeah. And upstairs, mom is lightsabering her neck beard. It's <laughs> <Which is> amazing. <laughs> so, so all the bereaved ladies show up. Uh, including that lead one who has the Christmas icicle necklace with the fur coat. Yeah, Amazing. She, like, aside from the Christmas icicles, she, remind, she reminds me of uh, that old woman from Spirited Away, which I actually haven't seen, but I, I Ooh, do know like movie. that old that old woman. You know the yeah. one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Uh, very iconic uh, figure in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should watch that sometime. That's a great Oh, we totally should. I can't believe I haven't seen it. I'm very surprised you haven't, actually. So Roxy is spying on them from below in her masturbation space. I guess she's sort of moved a little ways away because the, the pictures aren't there. Yeah. And Zora is offering... You can clearly see through the floorboards from well, very both ways. Uh, Zora offers them purple soup. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's called. It's like, have some purple soup. Would you like some purple soup? <laughs> uh... What's in this purple soup you speak of? Uh, no one wants. Don't want to know. No, don't want to know. And and like they're obviously here. It's like your daughter unearthed death. She's defending them, or she's defending Roxy, and then the rest of the council show up uh, with with the plot, with with the background. So it's what was it, Katerina Bushowski? Uh, Katajena Bushowski. Right. Uh, she's Polish, uh, and she was buried by the Polish militia. And they say that she had gone mad from mountain powder. <laughs> Which I guess is, you know, on an alien planet. Uh, that's the thing that can... Pro- sure, that can happen. All right. Mountain powder. I mean, that sounds like cocaine to me, but yeah, okay. And and I love the flash to her being captured, uh, where she's naked and screaming. Yelling that oh. she's the vengeful arm of After Blue. 
Yeah, th- this definitely had like a witch trial vibe here. She's like tied up in these like thorny ropes and they're just dragging her around and whipping her. Although her being naked seems to be her choice rather than their choice, because that's just her look as oh, it will yeah. turn out. <laughs> Bush doesn't really wear clothes. She doesn't fuck with clothing. Uh, th- this part actually reminded me a lot of Jailhouse 41. Uh, of like, Oh, totally. Yeah, now that I... The the secondary girl, the, or the quasi-villain lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene where she gets roped. Yeah, yeah, actually, now that you mention it. So they're like, okay, we know that there's this abandoned mine that she used to hang out in. Uh, somebody should maybe go lie in wait there for her. <laughs> and they're like, who are you planning on? <laughs> sure, surely not me. I'm a hairdresser. Oh, no, it's kind of your fault because you raised the person who did this. Yeah, they're they're voluntold, you know, and yeah. and they threaten Roxy a bit too. Like oh, yes. I will I will kill that bitch. And it's like you don't have to kill her. You could just capture her and hold on to her for the Polish militia. But how likely is that? <laughs> but you know, if you happen to kill her, that would be okay too. You know, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, right? So sometimes, uh, hey, here, we're just going to hand you over this gun that has the words, you will kill Kate Bush, glowing in neon in the stock. Yeah, <laughs> well, you, you know, see just if take you can gun. capture her <laughs> uh, Yeah, I, and Roxy dreams of Kate all night in space, whispering her name. <laughs> A lot of dreamy sequences of uh, Kate's just face in space. Well, we don't actually see actual Kate again until almost the end, I don't think. It's yeah, only doesn't... ever she shows up in dreams. Yeah, she takes a really long time to show up again. And I guess this is how she uh, stays in contact. Because all of this dream stuff and the ghost world do seem to have, like, a real overlap with life. Maybe. But <laughs> I was kind of thinking... I was kind of thinking that it's because... We're seeing, we're hearing this whole story from Roxy's viewpoint, mm. and maybe it feels real because it feels real to her. Possibly, but there, there's stuff with other also, people too, right? Yeah, um, but that's all being told by Roxy. Yeah, too. true, true. Yeah, I don't know because it, it's hard to say. It is a psychedelic planet. Uh, yeah. I, I, I feel like the rules are deliberately unclear, and that reality yes. just isn't how we would expect it to be uh, i there, there's this so the, the, it's the next morning and the ladies come to fetch her uh with the horse and they put a needle into the horse's brain and it there's like this x-ray cloud of this yellow fluid uh being injected and do you, do you get what that was about no i i, don't. I didn't I didn't get it until the second time I watched it. This is like a GPS. Like they're they're injecting the coordinates of where they need the horse to go. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. The horse has so the horse has like a a mood ring on its forehead, or I don't know if that's what it is, but it has like this gem that'll glow green or red. Yeah, uh, and sometimes blue as well. I think all of the horses have these. 
Oh yeah, no, they all do, and I I never figured out exactly what they were, so I called it a mood ring. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just seems like decoration. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes it'll turn red, and I I don't know. Yeah. Horse. This is also these are like the most chill horses ever. These are pretty relaxed horses, considering that the environment does often seem really harsh. Yeah. And there's weird stuff moving around out there. And horses famously are really, really very skittish creatures. <laughs> uh, extremely skittish, weird. Like they're they're like a huge muscly deer. <laughs> like very dangerous. Maybe the horses just needed to get really high, and that's Maybe. what this planet is. Yeah. Uh, I, I like when it cuts inside to them and they're just in absolutely no rush. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy is not packed. She is just lying around like, are, are you going? Uh, so when they go out, there's this nude witch. She just has the hat and the boots <laughs> just <laughs> hanging out in a doorway and she spits at them. Yep. Don't even know who this lady is. Nope. And and everyone else just faces away from them, uh, except there's one thing here that that I spotted and I don't know what to make of it, because just as they're leaving town, there's this blue silhouette holding a hand up to the glass of a window just on the outskirts. Oh, hmm. and I have I... no idea who that could be. I wonder if this is like maybe Zora has some sort of romance that is just totally unknown to Roxy. That could be because that because if it's unknown to her, that would that would explain why it doesn't come up ever. Yeah. And and Zora seems to always be hesitant to get into any kind of intimacy with anyone. Whereas everyone wants to. Oh, yeah. Everyone's into her. Yep. Everyone. Oh, and we didn't mention she's been in a couple other things we've watched. Like, obviously, she's in The Wild Boys. Uh, she's the doctor. See, I was wondering. At first, I thought Kate Bush was the doctor. But so so it is Zora? I believe so. Uh, let me just look this up real quick. Like, I no longer think it was Kate Bush, but. Right. I, I'm pretty sure it was Zora. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lena Lewinson. Oh, uh, so that is her. Yeah. Uh, and oh, she's also in Schindler's List. Wow. What? Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, she's in a bunch of M83 music videos, which totally tracks. And she's the mother of Guy in Knife Plus Heart. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, she, she's been in a few things we've done. Yeah, and like a bunch of other stuff that I've seen, too. She's in Let the Corpses Tan, which is really another sort of acid western, actually, although that one's set on Earth. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's in the Forbidden Room, the Guy Mad movie. That's cool. Oh, cool! Wow, she's in all sorts of stuff. That's really great. But yeah, uh, everyone seems to be into her, and she never really reciprocates. Like there is a couple. There, there's definitely one sort of romance sequence that she goes through. Yeah, but she never. She. She's she hesitant. Seems like she's trying to. Yeah, like she's trying to get out of it. Yeah. So as the, also as they're leaving town, like a little bit further out, they pass this billboard, which is like, we don't want another nuclear apocalypse, do we? <laughs> <laughs> like, just to remind you, like, remember what happened to Earth? Don't let it happen here. And it's got just like a nuclear mushroom on it. Yeah. 
I, I feel like this part where they're trekking through the desert and all of them leaving the town, it feels also very Green Knight. This one echoed with a lot this, of other stuff we've watched recently. I, I was thinking Green Knight, too, because this is a lot more about the journey than where they actually get to it at the end. Yeah, I mean, they kind of don't do anything, ultimately. <laughs> they kind of go in a big circle and then come back and it's like, hey, we did it. <laughs> it's done. I said the words. <clears throat> So they cross into snowy Polish territory and they they encounter what I guess is Kate Bush's mom and sister. Is that who they're supposed to be? I thought they were just. Oh, no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think she's the mom and sister or they are the mom and sister. Uh, they're dressed in rags and they are uh, they're, they're talking about how they recently lost a Paul Smith, which is a designer. Oh, yes. So it's. <laughs> this gun that's missing. <laughs> it's a gun, yeah. I thought they were talking about a person at first. I didn't, because they hadn't <laughs> clued in that one, that that was a designer, and two, that the guns were designers. I'm so, pretty sure this is the first what first time they do it, too. Yeah, so it completely didn't register until a bit later that they were talking about a weapon. But they're like, yeah, yeah, if you find it, don't touch it. It's our only one. And it's cursed or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and they're like, do you have any food? We've only been eating slugs for the last three months, which is gross. <laughs> yeah, and well, the food here is gross. The food here is grody at times. Uh, and, and like the, the younger one, the sister, she is just like munching on slugs during the scene. She's just mm. like black juice all over her mouth. It's gross. Oh, yeah. Like, like full on Danny DeVito penguin black shit on her mouth. It's it's vile. Uh, and then they're like, we can't spare any. We've been sent up into uh, the woods to hunt for Kate Bush. And uh, the older one's like, that's my girl. She hasn't done anything, my little Kate. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's she's done at least three things for sure. Well, yeah, we know she's murdered some folks. Uh, and she says, well, you know. You better watch yourself, because Kate has her third eye open, and the Indiums are in heat. Oh, see, I missed the meaning behind that, too, because we hadn't seen an Indium yet. Yeah, and it's like, what are, what's Indium? That seems on the nose. Unobtainium. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, so of course they must be related, because Roxy specifically said she told nobody about the third eye. Exactly. That was yeah. supposed to be only for her. Yeah. So she also propositions Zora. It's like, hey, you know, my wife, my wife died, and I'm looking for a new wife. Oh, well, we, we really must be going, though. Uh, you see. And and meanwhile, the other girl uh, is pawing at and very aggressively kissing Roxy with her slug slugged up mouth. Yeah. Roxy's into it. Roxy's into it. She just really. She's really horny. Uh, and uh, the the mom, she's like, ah, oh, these are the best years. <laughs> and Zara's like <laughs> leading her away, but like Roxy's just like leaned all the way backwards in the yeah, saddle, still like kissing the girl. to get like the last <laughs> ounce of kissing before the horse gets away. <laughs> uh, so then like we have one of those dreamy overlays with her face, just like 
with bisexual lighting, you know, the pink and blue, <laughs> filling Lots most of, of that in this. Yeah, uh, and uh, transparent here with like nature behind it, like cattails and a deep blue sky. And she says, I felt Kate Bush in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> really? Through all the dirt? And I guess the slug? Kate Bush would, was probably pretty dirty in the mouth she when she did the kissing. Dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe but, that's. But, uh, on the dreamscape, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Everyone's very high. Oh, yes. <laughs> so they, they pass through a bunch of really cool landscapes. There's this blasted alien swamp where the oh. glass grows out of the ground in globes. Yeah, like these red globes. It's like really pretty, but it also looks... I, I found it so unsettling and I can't explain why. Yeah, it's weird. Like there's both clear and red ones. I think most of the one in, in this part are clear. And then when they get closer up to the mine where she lived, like there's that house that is grown out of stone and glass, mm-hmm. uh, which is very weird looking and, and kind of unsettling. Like it, it does have that Wachowski's look. It feels like one of the uh, hunter killer machines in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually. The squids, you know. I, I was kind of thinking like like this planet parts of it remind me of like metroid which is oh yeah yeah, yeah. totally uh so th- another thing is there's like these i don't even know what they're supposed to be stones it's like this white ground that it heaves under them and it like breathes oh that's so gross but like, it, like they it. don't it seems sort of squishy, but, like, they don't sink into it. It, like, comes up to meet them. Eerie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, other, <laughs> other planets, like, I can't, I'm always thinking, like, oh, man, it'd be so cool to go to other planets. But something that evolved along such a different evolutionary scale would be so unsettling to look at. I mean, just look at, like, the shit that's under the sea in our world and how oh, close yeah. some of that looks to us. Because that's like a, a very dis, uh, a very distant branch of evolution, even within our own planet. Yeah, and and yeah. I uh, yeah, it would be uncanny. Like a lot of stuff would be very troubling, and especially uh, extraterrestrial fauna, like just weird animals. They're oh, gonna God. look we don't maybe see, we don't see a lot of the animals, but oh, they don't look. I don't like them. I don't. Like <laughs> They're not cute like kitties. <laughs> the ants are interesting. Uh, I, I do like the ants. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I like them. I like the set design. Like, oh, yeah. I don't like them. They gross me out. It, it looks amazing. So so it's in this swampy area that Roxy finds the lost gun, the Paul Smith. Takes it, keeps it, never she, gives it back. No, she does briefly aim it at her mother and kind of fantasize about shooting her, but does not. I thought that would end up being the second wish, but that seems right? to not be the case. And and it seems sort of mutual because there's a later scene when Zora does exactly the same thing with her. Yeah, yeah, uh, a couple times, and then another scene where I thought she was going to do it again. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So they open up the saddlebags, and they're just full of sand. They they didn't pack any food for them. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh. Roxy says, "Community of bitches," uh, and her, her mom is briefly scandalized by it. He's like, "No, I guess you're right." But, but it's all about the spirit of community. It's like, no, community <laughs> no. sucks. Yeah. 
Roxy is briefly, very briefly at this point, haunted by the three friends, but only very briefly. Like they show up and like whirl around her and it's like, what? but then the, it, we don't get much with that. And we, we get them just walking through the forest. This is maybe my favorite location. Uh, so the forest, is this the one where it's like big mushrooms instead of trees? Or is this like an... There are some, but like they, they get to those after it because there's this bright green, like bathed in green light and smoke, emerald forest. Oh, and, right, yeah. And then there's this green and purple stone quarry that they pass through after that. And then a purple blue cave, like just going through green, purple, blue. And it's it's the cave that has the giant mushrooms. Right, right. It's really amazing how just like clever use of smoke machines and lighting can make something feel like obviously this was shot on Earth and they did do some set design. But like they made it feel so completely alien and And so effective. Consistently alien. Oh, man. Yeah, that's great. This is probably the most alien looking alien planet I've ever seen in a movie. Have you seen Avatar? I, I haven't myself, but I, know I that's have seen Avatar, saw. but I think this is better than that. Interesting, interesting. Uh, although Avatar is like all CGI, I this is probably right. a lot more practical. This does feel like there's quite a bit of practical in there. It does feel like art design, yeah. Yeah. So they pause at the rainy entrance to the cave, uh, that, and that's where they're camping for the night. There's this weird bit where Roxy sticks the guns down her pants, but like sensually. <laughs> oh yeah, she's like, she's she's like gonna masturbate with it, and mother's like, stop that! I'm right here. Yeah, I, I I'm going hunting. Set up camp. What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, Roxy collects these. She she finds a, a mushroom and gets these three little silver orbs off of it. Oh yeah. Which she drops, and they spark a green fire. Just cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like is this is this what campfires are on this world? How did they you seem even to find be. out you could do that? Yeah, I guess you run into one of them, and it falls off and bursts into flame, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like that—that's another thing about being on another world. It's like the first people to be there. You see this mushroom is like, Hey, what about this thing? Is it dangerous? Does it have poisonous spores? Is it going to like eat us? Is it edible? Is it like nutritious? Are we going to die? Well, it's green fire. So I guess it's just heavily full of phosphorus, right? Yes. Yeah. Like, but like, (laughs) so, so, so alien. It's so doesn't, this movie break broke my brain. <laughs> well, one of the other things that's really cool here, there's like organic fireworks. Like there's a Roman candle just sort of going off, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's just part of the landscape. I love the tent that they put up too. Oh, it's the coolest. It, it's like the little, uh, it, it, it reminds me of Silent Running, this uh, 70s sci-fi with Bruce Dern, where they have like these little capsules of, you know, uh, flora from Earth, uh, you know, on a, on a distant ship. Yeah. Uh, so first we got Zora hunting, but it's like she's lit in blue from below and there's this dark green sky and there's a kaleidoscope of herself arcing over the horizon. <laughs> yeah. And it, I think the intention is like, it's not just us seeing, like, it's not just trippy effects like she's actually seeing this herself yeah like all the, the all of this psychedelic stuff 
it it's not just style it is the reality in mm-hmm. a weird sort of way uh and and back at camp roxy's friends or frenemies show up uh and yeah. now they're yeah they're they're all covered in silver body glitter and they're here to haunt her ass <laughs> yo you should avenge our death because technically it's your fault we died I, I my my maybe my favorite line it's like you see what you've done to us with your bullshit <laughs> <laughs> man you kind of got us killed you jerk it's sort of like jacob and marley uh from from a christmas carol they've got chains but they're like chain shirts that don't really cover their breasts not really <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, Roxy is wearing like this. She she has this coat, but uh, like her actual shirt is just like threadbare and see through, and it's implied that this landscape's really cold. So like, she's got to vary. Yeah, because there's like, at least looks... one point where she's definitely freezing though. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and and she doesn't really believe. She's like, I don't think you're real. This is all fake, and and they all. Feel her up to prove that they're real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you're just my imagination. Yeah, we'll show you how strong an imagination is. Yeah, and then it's it's weird because this first time it seems like maybe this was a dream because she wakes up as if from a dream to Zora calling her name, mm-hmm. and Zora has found these twig things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, like the the ones that are like oh the gross things. I, that like, doesn't I narrow it down, but it's it's hard to describe. There, it's like there's a stick, and it sort of looks like a hoof on the end, but it splits apart in two bits. Yeah, and I think this is supposed to be food, but nobody really wants to eat one, and I don't blame them. Well, like. The Zora licks one of them and it like <laughs> it, the legs move on it or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh god. And she's like, I don't know. And she offers it to the horse, and the horse is totally not having it. Oh yeah, right. And here's where she's like freaking out. It's like, take the thing, take it, take it. And it's the most inexplicable thing in the movie for me. I have no idea what happens here because. <laughs> The horse, like, rears up into the sky and becomes a ghost horse. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the horse is, like, floating. Like, she fed it the thing and it turned into a ghost. Like, it's wrapped in gauzy sheets. Yeah. <laughs> See, <laughs> it looks like a bridal veil, almost. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. And it's like, did she just kill the horse? Is that what we're symbolizing? But later, the horse is just back to normal. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the horse is just going on a trip and living its best life. And, like, everyone can see the trip you're having? I don't know. Oh, that'd be the worst. That'd be kind of terrifying. I don't uh, want anyone to know, to see the trip I'm having. It's bad enough that I can't <laughs> shut up about the trip I'm having when I'm having a trip. <laughs> and and Zora is so exasperated. He's like, why did you tell people you did it? He's <laughs> like, you always told me to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah but there's the truth exactly and the truth so we get roxy and overlay again and she's it's like is it true you you don't lie and it's like i only lie when i'm scared so that leads me to think 
so there's a couple of things that lead me to think that we've got an unreliable narrator situation mm-hmm. here on top of everything else that's going on. Yeah. Like that line, she's like, I only lie when I'm scared. And this who's she talking to? We have like, there's no one in this that she could be talking to. Yeah. It's like, it's not unfeasible that she'd be scared and therefore lying during this uh, interrogation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's, a bit earlier where she says like, yeah, when my mom is scared or upset or whatever, she just doesn't say things. And it's like, what if she, you've adopted that same trait and there's stuff in this story that you're not telling us. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's probably yeah. stuff that's absent. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they set up that really cool tent, which is like a terrarium. It's, <laughs> oh my it's God, translucent. It totally yes. They, it they, looks they... like, it looks like, yeah, like a glass Thing, but like with these like triangular peaks it's it's pretty low to the ground and it's completely translucent and that you just like lie under it i guess like they I crawl guess, under yeah. and it's lit like they have those fire orbs at each corner mm-hmm. uh like lit by green fire on and like just on the grass so there's nothing on the bottom of it you just lay on the grass <laughs> i guess the grass is safe to lie on on this alien planet well, I, I assume it's not wet or something. Like it, it looks cozy. It, it, it does. I don't know. And, and this is where Roxy describes Kate to Zora. Right, right. Because Zora's like, well, I'm supposed to shoot Kate Bush. How am I going to know her? Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to defend us if this lady just shows up out of nowhere? So she, she gives her like sort of a cursory description. But, you know, the, the blue mark uh, yeah. above her breast. She's got a tattoo there. Uh, the hairy arm. The the hairy witch arm is a pretty distinct one. Yeah, but the thing I like <laughs> is like, and also she was covered in sand, and Sora's like, you know, she could have just washed that off, right? It's like, yeah, but she was covered in sand. It's hard to tell anything else, okay? <laughs> yeah. But to be fair, she's also been having these dreams of her pristine and clean, and how she actually looks. So I don't know. Yeah, riding on like a like a silver horse or something. Uh, the horse is different every time i think oh. it, it, oh, it goes okay. through different phases so yeah she she has a dream of her that night while touching herself of course of course she always she usually very frequently yes <laughs> uh so in, in this dream kate bush is nude in this purple and pink cave full of smoke mm-hmm. and behind her there's a horse with a huge red penis floating in the background which is a thing oh. that can't exist on this planet. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I was I was getting this trippy horse image mixed up with the other trippy horse image. Yeah. This one's like floating, but like standing with yeah, yeah it's huge a red cock. And it's just in the background. No one like mentions it or uh, references it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the next day they pass through this area. This is one that's very Wachowski. There's like these things that sort of look like street lights, but they're organic and have like the red stuff in them. It the totally made me think of like the pods, yeah, like, the pods that in the Matrix that like for the babies. exactly, yeah, hundred percent. Me too. And I'm like, is this organic? Did somebody build this? It looks too uniform to be, because apparently like this Giger is the interest of the mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a bloody horse rushes past them, uh, almost dead and covered in screaming caterpillars. Yeah. Oh, I guess that's a thing you gotta watch out for. I, I mean, that's what they smoke. <laughs> Screaming caterpillars, right? 
Yeah, but too many of them will take off your skin and make you go running. Yeah, I guess they eat horses. Uh, the the caterpillars. Not good for horses here. Planet so sucks. <laughs> this planet's kind of rough. <laughs> so they they go into this red cave, and the horse, a bunch of yellow tears come out of its eyes, which signifies that they've arrived. Okay. That's how we know that it's a GPS that they injected into its brain <laughs> earlier, because it was yellow. Right, right. <laughs> it's a yellow fluid. It took yep, me two watches to pick that, that up. Yep. <laughs> uh, so they, they find the house or the the mine. It's it's like, again, Giger Wachowskis meets Tolkien. It's <laughs> This is the... Yeah, it's like, it's like stone, but like with those glass... Uh, those red glass orbs, but it's also covered in, like, gross moss. Yeah, and it seems like the whole thing is organic. Like, it's a home that's grown out of the side of, uh, I guess, a mine. Yeah. yeah, if it wasn't for the door, I wouldn't even recognize this as a building necessarily. Yeah. It, and certainly it would, not a human construction. No, it would look like the lair of an evil spider. <laughs> oh my god, it totally looks like an evil spider lair giant monster spider so mom goes in with the gun ready but of course no one's in there yeah so she's just like roxy go clean this place up <laughs> yeah like what the hell are you gonna piss off kate bush by by cleaning up her place because we know she likes a mess turns out she was uh, just trying to get rid of roxy so she could go so she could go masturbate yeah she the, uh like she Roxy goes in and she reflects in voiceover about she she now realizes how lonely her mother was. And and it's th this is the one where her face is in a transparency over the house. So the red globe windows are like her eyes. It's terrifying. Yeah, it makes her look like really weird. Gross. I keep saying gross. I got <laughs> it's just unsettling. It's like a bug monster. Uh, yeah. Frightening. yeah and yeah like outside mom or zora she seems to have a heart attack but it's full-on an attack of the hornies yep <laughs> classical like uh Renee Harmon. yeah yeah she she's like she just falls over and she has to masturbate uh roxy light inside is lighting the candles on each of kate bush's bed posts which is cool mm -hmm. and she finds this hidden grotto uh, by there's a, a, a hole in the mirror and like uh, impact marks coming out from the smash and she puts her finger in it and the mirror moans and opens <laughs> of course it moans <laughs> of course it does and th this is where she finds that weird squeaking crustacean thing <laughs> i don't even know what it is but it's so gross oh my god yeah <laughs> and uh she brings it to her mother and mom just like she she like ah, what the, what are you doing i I can't believe <laughs> she points the rifle at her don't sneak <laughs> up on me i could have killed you with one shot <laughs> go to bed <laughs> go to bed i wasn't masturbating what are you talking about mom i i noticed something here in in the background there's a giant penis statue nearby just in I the background there a various different intervals sometimes in in the background or even in the foreground sometimes the crystals will look like penises at various <laughs> points in the movie 
again, geegery, I guess. Yeah. So a stranger approaches uh, an, another sexy witch, uh, Sternberg, we will learn. What do you think of Sternberg? <laughs> uh, I, hmm. Hard to say, right? She's sexy. She's sinister. <laughs> yeah. Shortly after meeting her, she got overshadowed by the one we meet afterwards, in my mind. But she's, right, so I like she, her, but I don't know what to make of her. I like I can't figure her intentions. No, not at all. Is she good or evil, or is that even a thing right now? Because like their first meeting, it's sort like it's not a meet cute. It's sort of like a meet sexy because. Mm. But but like very intense because Zora is threatening her with her Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 you will kill Kate Bush gun. Yeah, yeah. Is a Gucci. Uh but like Sternberg just walks straight up without saying anything, totally unconcerned, without you know, the slightest pause. While Zora's like, it, it can put a bullet through wood, flesh, bone, metal. And Sternberg like gets real close and whispers in her ear. And through the night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, whoa. You know, early Fox comedy audience. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Totally. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So she says, look, I I live nearby. I just wanted to share some wine. And and she gives sort of her backstory or at least a backstory. I don't know. Yeah. So. This calls into question how long ago this planet was colonized, because I kind of had a feeling that they've been here for a while. But she talks about her time on Earth and she's not old. No, it kind of seems like, well, I also think maybe she's a vampire, possibly. <laughs> oh, could be, could be. Uh, but yeah, uh, or, or maybe an android, maybe. Maybe an android. I could also see android. and And it's possible that like people still live on earth it's just it can't support many people anymore and that's why most people are off planet i don't know because yeah she says that like she recognizes that zora is probably someone who also lived on earth first and she has yeah yeah uh so she says that she's an artist and she came here brokenhearted over her blind male model who i don't know it seems like either he died or left her or maybe she killed him. So it didn't occur <laughs> to me that the blind male model and the android and the blind android will meet in a few minutes are not same the person. same person. They are. It's oh. just he's based on the model. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like he's I the android form. Were... Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. OK. Uh, yeah. He's like her replacement of him. Right. And she mentions here that she's sterile and that her gun's a Chanel. <laughs> and then uh Zora and Sternberg kiss and water pours out of their mouths uncontrollably. Yeah, so I thought this was her way of sharing the wine at first, but it's like how much wine can you fit in your mouth? What is happening? What is happening? And it's just like water, it's clear. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe white wine. Maybe, but no, maybe. it's either way there's there's a lot and there's it's a just lot, pouring yeah. out. Yeah, I like maybe there maybe sexuality has changed to some degree that because uh, I don't know how anatomically correct the android is, but he's not a modern human man. <laughs> a little different. Yes. 
so we the, this is we get a bit more of Roxy's Kate Bush dream where she's in she's naked again, but she's got a She-Ra tiara on. Oh, I was thinking like um, Lord of the Rings, like Galadriel or something. Uh, similar. I like it. It reminded me a lot of like classic She-Ra, especially because she's on a white horse here. Uh, yeah, no. I, now that you mention, it, I definitely see the classic She-Ra. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah. more that. Yeah. <laughs> and and the narrator or interrogator asks her, well, why don't you just chase your troubles away? And she says, because I'm a pacifist. And yeah, that, that tracks. We don't see her. <laughs> does track. We don't see her moving the plot along at all, more except for just digging Kate Bush out. But she even did that because she was told. Yeah, and like she's not she she didn't need to come on this journey. She mentions before, like in that earlier part, it's like, well, why did you go? And it's like, I just didn't have anything better to do. Oh yeah, right. I forgot about that. I forgot that she wasn't sentenced to do this. No, it was, it was just just mom. the mother. Yeah. So I I love this bit the next morning where the three ghosts start up again, and Rocky's like, shut up, not in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I feel you, babe. <laughs> Damn. Wait till I've had my coffee before you start rattling your chains at me. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, not first thing in the morning. I can't. Just no. <laughs> Don't have a, not here for it. Yep. Uh, and Zora shaves her, like, shaves her, her neck uh, yeah. while they plan what to do. Uh, they go hunting. There's something that really smells like death. Mom shoots at a dog. There, there's like I guess wild dogs on this planet, but it, it escapes. Oh yeah, so here's the part where where the mom does the point in the gun thing because she's like, yeah, I definitely hit that dog. Go get it. Yeah, and Roxy goes chasing after it, and Zora is looking at her through the gun, and then she backs up into a hanging corpse. Oh right, they did find what smells like death. That's right. Oh, they find yeah, this okay. corpse. This, uh, this corpse. And and it has Kate Bush is alive carved in the stomach. Mm. <laughs> and I think this was done by Kiefer and Climax, not by Kate Bush, who we haven't I met yet. I'm not sure because I don't understand <laughs> Kiefer and Climax's deal in the slightest. They remind me a lot of uh, those. You remember in Mandy that there's that weird cult that took all the acid and just became insane bikers that do. Oh, Crimes. Uh, yeah, they like <laughs> turned themselves into monster people. Yeah, they 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 feel like they're on that trajectory. Like I don't know what's up with their eyes. Yeah, their eyes are like <laughs> their eyes are fucked. Uh, so Roxy's chasing after the dog still, and she comes across the statue grove. Like uh, there there's all these weird black broken statues and huge stone heads, like the Olmec Indian head in. The Simpsons basement. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about <laughs> that. Yeah, but like these statues have dicks. They Some have of dicks. Them do anyways, or do they, they all have? I mean, most of them are supposed to be statues of this guy, but some of them are definitely broken apart. Like there's mm-hmm. not full thing left. But the thing is, he doesn't because <laughs> we meet him here, a man. <laughs> Octodick. He has a glowing amethyst, like diamond shape in his forehead. And yeah, he's got a squid penis. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he like opens up his robe and it's like it's it's not a dick, it's tentacles. Yeah. Also he's blind. 
because like <laughs> Roxy, he thinks Roxy is a dwarf at first. <laughs> so the, um, the the diamond in his forehead, what it reminded me of mm. is the H on the hologram river in Red Dwarf. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just to indicate that he's a hologram and the diamond to indicate this guy's an android. Right. But yeah, like she approaches his penis first for whatever reason. So he's like, oh, a dwarf. And he wraps <laughs> and her face her. in tentacles. <laughs> she's into it. She's really into it. <laughs> she's like actually my like, first experience with a man. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so Sternberg shows up and she aims a gun at her. There's a couple times that this happens and I don't understand exactly what she does because she shoots and the tentacles go away but she didn't shoot roxy or the tentacles or the guy i don't think well i think that's just her way of saying hello and the guy says at some point it's like yeah don't worry about her she just likes shooting yeah and but like i don't even understand how he's allowed to interact with roxy in any sort of uh vaguely sexual way because he's got like He's got a program. Yeah, he's got like parental lock on. Uh, for, <laughs> oh my god! For parental lock only. on uh, on sex actions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. She she shoots the tentacles come off. And she's like, uh, "You and your mother come to dinner at my place tonight." Which is weird. <laughs> like okay. Really weird. Strange, strange. Uh, fine. And then Roxy wanders through this flaming swamp. There's there's like sticks that ooze yellow goo, as well as like fluffy cattails. And she's like rubbing them all on her face, like trying to, I guess, recapture that feeling. <laughs> it's like oh. she's having I, I feel like the tentacles maybe have some sort of aphrodisiac uh, goo or something because she's having like an erotic episode from it. She's getting the hornies. She's getting the hornies. She's like having a full on horny episode. <laughs> and when she gets back and I have again, this is another uh, why. But <laughs> Zora is just lying on the wet ground on her back. She does just that sometimes lying there. I like it, it could entirely be a thing of like. She is not emotionally well, and this is just like when she gets a chance to be alone, she's just going to lie on the ground and do nothing. I feel that, you know? I feel it, yeah. Although, like, maybe it's something to because she did find that body, and we have no idea what happened after that. True. We don't. Anytime we see her by herself, I kind of assume we're just kind of guessing what happens to her. Maybe. Uh, and she doesn't believe Roxy about seeing a man for good reason. <laughs> Men don't. They're live supposed here. to not exist. Yes. Yeah. And and he isn't a man, as it will turn out, of course. Yeah. So they do go to dinner. Uh, I this this scene looks incredible. They've got this emerald table, all of these hanging jade crystals. Uh, it's just glowing green. They're in the statue grove for dinner. Oh yeah, and it it's kind of has like this mad pack. Mad Hatter's Tea Party vibe. Mm hmm. Because mm-hmm. it all, is all vaguely threatening, as well as being kind of an, an inv- invited and an invited event. Mm hmm. Uh, and so, Sternberg's like a Mad Hatter type oh, yeah. character. Yeah. Hard Mad to get Gunner. a grip on. <laughs> 
So she tells them a bit about Climax and Kiefer. She says that they cast human torsos, that they're ultra neoclassical artists. Okay, I, I missed that part. So they're the ones who kind of made the statues. I, I assume so. And also maybe they're the ones that did the thing, like carved like, the Kate Bush is a live body. Cause oh, it's a, tor- yeah. you know, that they're casting a human torso that, you know, this is someone whose belly has been written in. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're uh, questionable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Olgar two is the name of the Android. He demonstrates how his hands can heat up to oh, warm yeah, people. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, cause she's, cause she's freezing. Roxy's like freezing. Right. It's like, mom, I'm so cold. Shh, you're being rude. <laughs> Uh, and Olgar takes Roxy away so that uh, uh, Sternberg can be alone with Zora. Yeah, because Sternberg clearly wants Zora, and Zora, from my, for what it seems like, wants Sternberg but doesn't want to want her. Yeah, it's a weird situation. I, I, it's definitely a thing where like she knows she can't stay here. Maybe it's partially a thing where like they are literally from different communes and they're not allowed to intermix. Maybe could be um, a lot of it is also like I'm on a super important mission right now. <laughs> she doesn't seem to care that much for the mission. Ultimately, though, like she kind of no, just she... wants to get get it over with and get past it. <laughs> the solution. Well, yeah, she ultimately doesn't do it. So <laughs> there's that, too. Yeah. Uh, so she she explains a bit about Olgar, how he is the android replica of the model that she was obsessed with, the male model. Mm-hmm. And then an Indium roars somewhere in the forest, and Sternberg suddenly just draws two guns out of nowhere and goes hunting. Oh, yeah. So so this is one of the animals we see. And we don't get it. I, I couldn't make out anything for what this thing looks like. Well, it's an ant, basically. This is one of the giant versions. This is like a oh, really so big one. this is the same species as the other thing? Exactly, yeah. Just a really I big one. didn't pick up on that at all. And it's it's caught in a trap uh, that Kiefer and Climax, they set indium traps all over the place. Yeah. That's why it's roaring. So she's like, aim for the head so it doesn't suffer. And it, it goes down and then Sternberg strips out of her clothes. And he's like, oh, have you never taken a Juvent's bath? <laughs> so there. They, they turn it skull. I'm gonna kill this thing and turn it into a bathtub. It's like uh, they they get naked and make out in the dying brain of an ant. Like <laughs> I I don't know how else to describe this. It's got a psychedelic. No, this is definitely what hot happens. Tub. Uh, it's like a psychedelic hot tub brain. <laughs> yep. They're like naked in it and making out. They're drinking some of the psychedelic fluids. She's like, drink some of this. It makes you see things differently. this was definitely the scene for me where i was like oh my god what (laughs) this was the one that like for me finally is like what uh yeah Uh, uh, i had already lost it when octodick came along that's fair that's fair so she tells she she gives a bit of background on kate bush about get her getting the tattoo oh yeah so like (laughs) a kefir gave her the tattoo yeah, she's talking about how like Kate Bush was like such a crybaby and couldn't do any killing before she had this tattoo. And she got the tattoo, and when she got it, she cried like a bitch. <laughs> yeah. But then 
she held a gun on Kiefer for half an hour afterwards. It's like, now that my heart is blue, I'll be able to kill. <laughs> Which just sounds like, again, nobody's emotionally well and everybody's high all the time. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, they, they make out in the dying ant brain. Slash uh, hot tub. With Kate's eyes overlaid, which was really weird. Like, uh, like uh, Kate Bush's face in, like, extreme close-up, just the eyes. Mm-hmm. And then we have another flash to her uh, in the tiara on the horse, but this time it's the bloody horse. Right, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, like, the one that passed them with all the screaming caterpillars on it, I guess. <laughs> Uh, notably, Roxy is back at the house and she passes a framed photo of Sternberg kissing Kate Bush. Uh, and, and this is where she makes up with Olgar. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the nipple thing. The nipple thing. Oh, my God. OK, so. No, this is where it broke my brain right here <laughs> because I messaged you about this. And yeah. like, I had to stop watching the movie. After this. I'm like, <laughs> Olgar lactates. Like, a marble. <laughs> She's like touching his. It, it's like a nipple, and and she like rubs it, and it like fires out across the room, and it's like mucky. It's got like goo on it. Yeah, it's like this steel ball, and he's like, "You can keep it if you want." Yeah, he says it's a fragile canvas. Don't and know what that means. No, because it seems to change shape. Because it can be a painting, but it can also be a ball bearing. Because she goes outside and Sternberg sees her with a full painting, which is the canvas. Yeah. Right? See, I, I didn't realize it was like the same thing. I thought she just grabbed one of the paintings for <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, no, it, it's, it seems to change shape. And she's like offended at Olgar. She knocks Olgar over. She points the gun at uh, Roxy and is like, put the painting down, little slut. She does shoot at something. At something, what. yeah. And then she aims at her own head, and her hat glows and sparks blue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all of the, the, the big stone heads, their eyes light up red, and Olgar is just, like, malfunctioning and twitching on the ground. They just kind of leave him there for a bit, don't they? It just cuts to Roxy taking the painting home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what even? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not sure. Uh, but but Kate Bush arrives uh, at the house and puts a gun in her mouth, and she like starts petting Roxy with the witch hand, and then she disappears under or into the bed. It's like she becomes the bed. Yeah, it's not really clear what she does but <laughs> i don't know she but like she's still petting her with the witch hand it's like sticking yeah. out of the bed uh at some point there's now some blankets on the bed yeah show and, up. and and it cuts to outside and sternberg has shown up to warn them that kate bush has been seen in the area and this is also where we first see Kiefer and climax with their purple glowing eyes yeah they look like they look like people with robot eyes. Yeah, yeah. And they have big furry hats, too. They they look very strange. Uh, and they're very disaffected all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know really what they're supposed to be. They feel like weird backwoods moonshiners, you know? They're, they're, oh, yeah, mm. could be. 
like it, it's a lot of classic old west types but they're put in this very alien environment with totally alien uh types of doing things so yeah it's hard to say mm-hmm. so uh roxy runs outside to like hide under a tree trunk <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> she just like runs outside and tunnels under a tree <laughs> So this part actually reminds. So this also reinforced the Metroid comparison uh, mm-hmm. that I was thinking of earlier because it's like Metroid she became world, a morph ball. <laughs> like the Metroid world has all these like crawl space tunnels mm-hmm. that definitely aren't meant for. It it just was so claustrophobic in there, but also like when I'm playing Metroid plot Prime, I would just sometimes like turn into a morph ball and then just go into one of those morph ball tunnels and just sit there and just be like i'm in a very tiny space and this is cool it, it, it that seems to be her thing because like when she's pulled out later she she talks about how that like that's always been what she's done she likes to yeah climb into holes and hide yeah uh, yeah that's when, what Zora says. Like, yeah she always just finds a hole and hides in it mm-hmm. and and in there the ghosts come to berate her and and i feel like it's american werewolf in london rules with them like you have to get vengeance for us. What are you doing? <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> we don't want to stick around here with you. <laughs> yeah, come on, get vengeance for us so that we can pass over to the other side. Like, come like, of on. Course, in in werewolf, it's they they want him to kill himself, but <laughs> here, like, yeah. get get vengeance. Uh so this is where Sternberg, Zora, Kiefer, and Climax are all riding through the forest to just pounding synthwave beats on yep. all the horses with the green lights on their saddles oh yes yep because they're they're gonna go to where uh they supposedly saw kate bush uh and zora gets off the horse and yells show your crybaby tits <laughs> <laughs> great line great line and zora she doesn't show up she's not there it's like well I don't know. I'm not any good at this. Kiefer and Climax, you seem to be the killing sort. Can you do the killing for me? I'll pay you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They're like, no. No, they do agree. Eventually, they have to negotiate a bit. They they, they want more money because they feel that they're artists, not killers. Yeah. Their killing is artistic. Yeah, but I'm a hairdresser, though. It's like, yeah, but it's your problem and not ours. Yeah. But yeah, she they 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 agree on an amount. Mm-hmm. She comes back to the house, pulls Roxy, screaming out from under the tree. It's like she puts herself in holes since childhood. <laughs> yeah, she's like freaking out, like Kate Bush is under the bed. Kate Bush is under the bed. But I like that Sternberg to the putting uh, putting herself in holes since childhood. Sternberg's like, I understand her. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I get that. I I feel that. So yeah. yeah, she's she's screaming about Kate Bush under the bed, and Zora goes in first, and then Sternberg. She's like, "Your mom probably needs a kiss before bed," and she licks her lips and then follows her in, <laughs> uh, just trolling her. <laughs> but of course, they go inside, and Kate Bush is outside. She's like, "Hey, I trusted you. I'm disappointed." And he's like, "By the way, you still have two wishes left." Oh yeah. So okay, what what was the second one? I I must have missed it. Well, this one hasn't. It ha, she's she hasn't come to that. The, she still has two left, and she only had the one earlier. Yeah. So right. still has two, but there's a point later where she says there's one left, but that's later. 
Oh, okay, yeah. So here there's still two, so still just the one. Uh, but right. I'm not sure if this is even her because Sternberg comes out and he's like, watch yourself for those Indians in heat. Cause it, and then there's like one right there. Right. Sternberg because, shoots it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No, it's not Kate Bush. It's an Indium either shape shifting or hallucinating, making uh, Roxy hallucinate that she's Kate Bush. One or the other. I cannot tell which. Yeah, and I don't know because that's the only time we see something like that happen. Yeah, and and everyone else seems to be able to tell that it's um, a, an alien and not mm. Kate Bush. So maybe right. it is just hallucinations. I guess it so. like sticks its hand in her mouth. Right. <laughs> and and also, their faces are like these cool, like hollow crystal-looking things. Yeah, it, it's like an opening and it's it, it's got a space for the human head and it like lowers down over you and you have a psychedelic experience of some sort. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Sternberg shoots at it and then she burps and then she makes a pass at Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we just cut to later where Zora is shaving Sternberg inside while Roxy is stargazing on the roof. And also being harassed by her three friends some more. Or haunted or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So Kiefer and Climax show up with the body. <laughs> this is so... They're like, this is definitely Kate Bush. And it's really dirty and it's been shot in the face. <laughs> this is definitely... Like, even from the very beginning, I was like, oh yeah, Kate Bush was killed off screen, huh? Sure, I sure, this. yeah. <laughs> And like, there's like, well, it seems really dirty. It seems like maybe you dug up a corpse and shot it in the face. And I was like, no, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. That's not true. <laughs> it's like, Clato Varata. <clears throat> yeah. I killed Kate Bush. I'm but Zora. To... I'm just going to go. Uh, but I like that Zora's like, no, it's fine. I, I agree. Pay the, I'll, I'll pay you. <laughs> she just wants this dealt with. Doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, it's a sure. Bond. This could be Kate Bush, whatever. Yeah. And then they throw a party slash orgy. Yeah. Uh, and Zora wanders off and encounters an Indium. Because we, we see it from inside this time, which is the super cool shot where, like, oh, yeah. it's it's a shot of Zora's face inside the Indium, just surrounded by the glowing crystals in it. Mm-hmm. Roxy is also dipping out of the party. She's smoking alone with her dead friends. <laughs> out back. And I love it because at some point somebody goes up to him and is like, what are you doing? Oh, smoke with my dead friends. Yeah, it's Olgar. Right, yeah. Uh, and Olgar, I, I think we've. I, th- this is after the point where uh, she, where Sternberg like releases the parental lock so that he can dance with Kiefer and Climax. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because uh, she explains it around this point. Yeah. It's like, oh, he, I, he's programmed to not be able to cheat on me without permission. Yeah. He's like, you, you can dance with them. It's fine. Use your heating hands and so forth. So she kisses Olgar out back, and he's like, I want you to reprogram me so that I can see. Because it's not fair that I've been programmed to be blind. That sucks. <laughs> Fair point. That's fair. I agree. And it's also like, and I need you to kill Veronica Sternberg for me, to free me. 
And to kill her, you'll need to use a diamond bullet to the heart. This is why I think maybe she's a vampire of this planet. Or maybe she just convinced the android that that's what needs to happen. Possibly. I kind of feel like he'd just know, just like how he knows that he's been programmed to be blind, which is bullshit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I I do like the idea of her being a vampire. She acts pretty vampy. She does. Uh, And and just that she kind of seems immune. She maybe can teleport. And she's spying on them during this whole scene. (laughs) Yeah, she's through one of the windows. She's like pointing a gun at them. So Roxy and Olga are making out and the tentacles cover her face again. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not totally sure of how things fit together here because Sternberg's aiming the gun and Zora shows up and raises a rock uh, and deflects the shot with the rock. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Sternberg is just a really bad shot. She doesn't seem to like she she got that end perfectly earlier, right? Uh, she true. seems to have more capability with guns than uh, Zora, anyways. Although it doesn't seem like Zora is very good with guns at all. Well, she wouldn't be. No, she's <laughs> a hairdresser. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what I love is like the whole thing here just kind of ends with this, with them like, okay, so we just left him behind. I told them that yeah, I'm definitely gonna come back for you. I'll get right on that. Yeah, we're we're just gonna go home. Uh, we'll we'll see you later. Uh, and I'll come, you're gonna come back and shoot her with the diamond bullet, right? Uh, yeah, totally, totally, definitely, sure. definitely. Uh, just gotta hit that old dusty trail. Uh, <laughs> so on the way home, they run into this masked woman with a harnessed indium companion. Who is obviously Kate Bush. <laughs> obviously Kate Bush. But Zora immediately is like, oh, you know what? We killed Kate Bush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I wish I knew what, like, what it said because <laughs> this text, like this big text flashed on the screen. Something, something Kate Bush, but it was in French. Uh, I, I think it's we killed Kate Bush. Uh, j'ai tué. Okay. Uh, uh, but... Uh, so Kate Bush is like, oh, really? That's so interesting. Can I have a memento? Maybe like a boot or something? Zora does give her one of her boots. <laughs> but Roxy's like immediately recognizing her because of the eyes. Very of familiar course. eyes. Yeah. yeah. Kate Bush is like, can you give me a shave? Like, All right, yeah, sure. And she she's getting a shave and she's like, so my mission is to defend Indians from the human plague. It's like people are killing these things, but they're they're better than us. That's actually that is the most logical motivation of anybody in this whole thing. Yeah, she's got like a real thing going on. Uh, and then she feels up Roxy some. She takes the Paul Smith gun out of her pants. Oh, yeah, because it's been there this whole time. Yep. She never well, took it out. Know, she never really did anything with it. When she whenever she's wearing <laughs> pants, that is. Which, yeah. We, we've kind of neglected to mention, but isn't there's that often? Yeah, very frequent, very frequent nudity. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Kate Bush holds the gun on Zora and she's doing it's It's like the classic old West Beach and like, oh, you're the woman who killed Kate Bush. And like, well, what are you going to do about all the people looking to kill the woman who killed Kate Bush? And she orders her to tell to say, I didn't kill Kate Bush. Now you scream it. Yeah. And. And she does, of course. She does. Yeah. And this is where she says, 
you have one wish left and and then she leaves so here i think the wish is uh to be to to get out of this situation <laughs> to be to just oh, like okay you get one wish left I, i'm gonna leave you alone now that could be uh, unless it's secretly the other thing that's maybe already happened maybe could be maybe it happened while they were going to her house it could be um (laughs) we're we're gonna get to it shortly because yeah uh, yeah. because we find out that the third wish does get used up too yeah so they they go through a forest in the rain and roxy is still trying to get zora to admit that the body that they're carrying is not kate bush he's like i know because that was kate bush who shaved earlier which i guess she didn't clue into despite the whole hold up and yell say you didn't kill kate bush thing yeah Uh, i i think she knew but didn't want to admit it i guess so and and roxy's like screaming at her like coward 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 and zora is like just we'll never mention it again she she threatens her again with the gun yeah uh but then they cry just in the in the rain and lightning they're completely bathed in this green and blue light of course uh zora's just rolling on the ground while roxy screams coward at her they fight they they have a mud fight <laughs> they do just roll in the mud fighting like the only non-sexy thing in this movie <laughs> and then <laughs> it's like let's let's take a really super sexy movie have a mud fight in it and make the mud fight not sexy that'll be our challenge yeah it'll be dark and black and just people uh, feel look like they're really having a bad time uh and and i really like the shot of roxy huddling under tree roots during the night oh yes and her dead friends all come to actually commiserate with her they're like we understand we wouldn't have done any better <laughs> yeah yeah it's like oh <laughs> Thanks, there's dead the, friends. Yeah, I, I guess we're in this for the long run now because I'm not going to be avenging you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and there's this weird shot of Kate Bush removing one of her breasts, revealing a metal globe underneath. I have no idea what to make of it. <laughs> nope. No clue. Because it's like the last shot we have of Kate Bush. Uh, so in the morning, Roxy and Zora embrace and they carry on home. Uh, where they find the beach completely littered with the dead bodies of the entire town. Yep. Like uh, all the, all the witches, all the, like the icicle lady. Yeah. Uh, Everybody got murdered. Yeah. Uh, Zora finds Severine, who's one of the ones who sent them and maybe someone she had a romance with. Cause this is a weird scene. This she, she, that is the one who she went to first. So it could be, yeah. you haven't, We've never heard Severine. Severine was the name of the um, the uh, character she played in uh, Wild Boys. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that I don't know. Interesting. But yeah, she she cuts her hair, like not not really the neck hair. She just cuts a bunch of her hair, and we see it blowing away on the beach like tumbleweeds. Mm-hmm. She she's like Severine. We killed Kate Bush. <sighs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, there there's still one other shot of Kate Bush oh. because there's that shot where she whispers roxy and then sand covers her up but in reverse like it's obviously coming out of it but it's all covering her yeah yeah it's like like a rewind of her rising from the sand but like getting buried by the sand instead Mm -hmm. 
And in the ghost world plane, you know, the, the gold plane, uh, the three friends tell Roxy that she has opened her own third eye. That's how she's able to see them. Mm-hmm. So, that's, so, so maybe that's, that's the thing that Kate Bush and Roxy both have this, uh, existence between these different planes. Yeah. So, so maybe it really wasn't a hallucination and I don't know. My feeling is it's not. <laughs> I think it's all sort of semi-real and also uh, partially drug hallucination because everybody's high. <laughs> it's, it's, like he, <laughs> it's the high planet. Yeah. So alone on the beach, Roxy and Zora, just this huge purple sky, and they scream, we killed Kate Bush. We killed Kate Bush. He's like, but what now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, now what do we do? And it's like, I guess we look to the future and, and we see all of the dead villagers appearing standing, but now glittery ghosts. And I guess maybe the whole town is going to have to just fucking haunt them for the rest of their lives. <laughs> maybe. Oh, man. Imagine this whole town following you around. I would hate it. I don't know. I mean, they, they can't. I don't know. They, they They do seem to be able to physically interact with them to some extent. Yeah. And and they say, well, it'll be a place for all the dead in need of love. And that's the end. <laughs> Not quite Except, the end. Well, yes. Th- at the th- So through the credits, we have Roxy. And then at the very end, we see her kissing Kate Bush. And then, like, she turns to camera suddenly to reveal that Kate Bush just has a giant hole in place of her head, in place of most of her face. Like Gene Hackman in The Quick and the Dead. Yeah, like the, the stomach plug. Or no, not plug. Gene Hackman, but the, the guy who he killed. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, um, I think it was Keith David. I think it was Keith David. I think it was the Keith David one, yeah. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah, her her entire face is just a, a hole with <laughs> bloody edges, uh, which means Roxy was just kissing air where a mouth would be, because there's no mouth or anything. But it might right? be a psychedelic experience like those Indians. It could be. Uh, presumably it is. And like, that's the it. Maybe this is an indium or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what anything is. It's just it's just another crazy image in a sea of crazy images that this movie has. Every shot of this movie is every shot. No exception. Every frame is gorgeous. It looks so bloody amazing. Just every, everything about it. Like, I, I totally loved it. But yeah, it is an experience <laughs> it's, it's really something to go through it's like i wanted to watch it while i was high so i did but it was simultaneously it was too much for me when i was high i had to wa- i had to watch it like i had to like stop like three or four times it's it's overwhelming there's just so much input yeah uh so this is replaced in the stacks with the movie called robinson's garden it's oh, like uh, it's this Japanese punk movie, like from the punk new wave. Uh, you know, so, so like uh, legendary Stardust Brothers, kind of same same scene, I guess. Right. Uh, it's there's the uh, drug dealer it's just wandering around and finds this abandoned suburban garden and decides to just like take up gardening. <laughs> yeah, I hear it's really fun. It's cool. from the 80s uh, Japanese punk scene. It's supposed to be good. Oh, right on. So, any last thoughts before we move on to part two? Uh, uh, 
this movie killed all the thoughts I had. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to have a thought for a while now. All right. Well, uh, on to the next part. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about you know, a little-known independent flick uh, from uh, 1960 called Spartacus, directed by you know a little guy called Stanley Kubrick. There's like uh, nobody in this movie. Oh. Yeah, no, uh, not 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 like uh, a murderer's row of the the famous names of Hollywood or anything. Uh, made all the money. Uh, it, it was the biggest film of 1960. It really set Kubrick up for his whole career, which is weird because it's also the only one that is just like he was a director for hire. Oh, like he wasn't. Uh, this wasn't like his project. They fired the other guy, uh, and <laughs> like it was oh. under production. Oh shit! Probably like the the first like ten minutes or so, roughly, are probably mostly directed by I think it's Anthony Mann. The first ten minutes where there is no uh, nothing has happened yet. Well, I I mean, or, oh, you mean the first post, ten minutes of actual overture? Yeah, like the. the 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 section where Ustinov is running the Slavateria, you know? Okay, yeah. Uh, that did have a, a different feel from the whole rest of the movie. It really does. Uh, and, and yeah, from that point forward, uh, he got fired uh, by Kirk Douglas, and Kirk Douglas had just worked with Kubrick on Paths of Glory. Oh, and, okay. You know, he really appreciated his work, so he's like, oh, well, I'll pull him in, and Kubrick couldn't say no, so... And, and it set him up, you know, it's it's what created him as like a major league director, even though he never worked in the studio system again. Oh, he never did. I didn't know that. Well, he just like wouldn't work with oversight. Like uh, after this one, it's just like, I, I'm not working under people ever again. That is not acceptable to me. <laughs> if I need to do 150 takes, I'm going to do 150 takes. Uh, the, the thing that makes, oh, what is it? When one director says, no, I won't, it brings all of Hollywood to their knees. <laughs> yeah. <That's> a, <laughs> there's so many, there's some real good stand. quotes of this. Oh, yeah. This is an incredibly iconic movie. Uh, probably the most iconic thing we've covered other than possibly Jaws. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Um, Still, no iconic things that I could have uh, inserted my name into for the opening. Nothing oh, yeah, comes to know. mind. Huh. Hard to say. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe something will come back to me as we're going through it. Maybe. So what did you think of Kirk Douglas? Um, I So so the interesting thing about Spartacus, and I'll get to Kirk Douglas, is how many names I actually recognize because I don't know shit about movies in this era, really, besides what we've covered on the show here. Right. Like, um, like Peter, oh gosh, what is it? The guy, the old man. Yeah. Who was in Logan's Run is one of the, one of the main side characters in this. And he's just such a lovable piece of shit. I kind of like, I, he really grew on me. I really love Batiatus and he does have, Maybe more of a character arc than Kirk Douglas than Spartacus, you know. I agree mostly. He doesn't necessarily grow that much, but he is certainly chastened by the knowledge of what happens when he caves to uh, pressure from the rich because it, it ruined him. 
Uh, it, mm-hmm. it destroyed his whole school, and it wasn't worth it. It was not. Well, I mean, he did get a lot of money at the end and a hot girl. Yeah, but, I guess. But, yeah, you know, he, it, he, it destroyed his whole business. A, a business that, you know, he had a reputation for and had built up over many years. And just for the stupidest shit, you know, the, the yep. most petty bullshit, which, of course, is always how these things work. Because this is a true story, of course. It, it was basically like, well, you need to provide me with this. Uh, well, you see, your grace, your excellency, I cannot provide. It's not how we do things here. I want to see your manager. Oh, dear. I am the manager, yeah. but I guess. Yeah, they, they keep pouring money on it until he has to agree because yeah. he knows they're not going to stop. And at a certain point, it, it, it does become a political issue for him. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I kind of have to accept the money and go forward with this as much as I don't want to do it. And as bad a thing as it's going to be for my school as a whole. Yeah, yeah. But Kirk Douglas. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've heard the name and I, I, I swear I've seen him in more recent stuff than this. I, I must have. He's like super famous, isn't he? He's in all sorts of things. Yeah. And of course, uh, he's the father of Michael Douglas. Oh, that might be shit. I, and I he didn't certainly even make has that a connection, but he does look like him, yeah. Oh, yeah. Strong family resemblance there. Yeah. Um, uh, he's great. He, uh, I really like the bits at the beginning, like where he's not really talking very much and he's just acting with his face and his body. Yeah, uh, he does have a, a real chiseled physique for the time. Like, he does look like, uh, he, he looks like a gladiator. Oh, in totally a realistic does. sense, whereas, yeah. uh, it, you know, uh, uh, the modern version of that, like Russell Crowe in Gladiator is much more ridiculously sculpted. Maybe not so much there, but when you go forward into, I guess, anything now, anytime there's a guy who has his shirt off. <laughs> oh, God. Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Captain America. Yeah. People don't just look like that when they take their shirt off even if they have been doing all this shit that they look I like mean, kirk douglas does well yeah totally and i guess that I, it, it does sort of seem appropriate in a superhero movie when they're supposed to literally be superhuman but it's crazy when it's in like the fast and the furious or yeah uh, just every action movie kind of requires it now. And just people are so beefed up. They don't look human anymore. It's crazy. Well, they did that like, oh, who was there was a couple um, who have become like super swole now. Like, um, oh, what's that guy's name? Um, the Indian guy. Oh, my God. I can't. The, the oh, big uh, sick. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh. oh, God. Uh, I should know this. Because he's uh, he he is also. Uh, no, I can't remember. Oh my god! But I do know who you're talking about. Yeah, that. and uh, also Mac from It's Always Sunny, uh, and is on like the Hollywood Muscle Diet. I saw a picture of posted at one point. I'm like, really? Possibly. Well, like it, it sort of makes sense as a thing that he'd be pursuing for the character. It does because that he there, there was that point. season. His character would. There was that season that he gained a bunch of weight intentionally because he was thinking about it. It's like he thought it would be really funny for the character, even though it would probably be really bad for his health to do it. So he just got (laughs) fat for a year. 
<laughs> yeah, and see, the problem I have with that is I don't see his character succeeding in this the way the actor has. Well, I don't know, because I'm a few seasons behind with that show, so I don't know how oh, the character point. has progressed. I think there's an idea that he has actually come to terms with his sexuality at this point. I don't uh, remember getting back to Spartacus, happens. by the way. Yes. <laughs> regarding uh, uh, getting to terms with some sexuality. Uh, some interesting stuff regarding that. How great is Tony Curtis in that, right? Uh, which one was he? And He's Antoninus. Oh, yes. I also so juggle <laughs> the the slave who uh, just he, bailed on Crassus. Just uh, just he, he was a bed him. servant. Yeah, you know, yeah, he he was a bed servant uh, for Crassus, the main evil baddie, I guess. He's the uh, Lawrence Olivier. The yeah, yeah, uh, Olivier, just a classic bastard. Uh, he, yeah, he pulls it off here. I thought I didn't think he was going to be the big bad until. Until he was, because it was it kind of seemed like he lost in the first half of the movie and he was going to have to not do anything anymore. And that uh, Palpatine and uh, Caesar were going to be. Oh, um, I didn't get the I could not remember the guy's name. So he's fat Palpatine and uh, uh, Julius Caesar. Gracchus. Yeah. Charles Lawton. Legend Who, Charles Lawton. Oh, he's good, too. He turns out to not really be a Palpatine character at all. No, he's pretty important, but he's kind of easily circumvented. He He's sort of just the guy that everybody's dancing around. Just sort of a big bag of wind. Yeah, like he's set up at the beginning to be like the enemy leader or like the enemy senator, but he doesn't get much done, really. And then he just loses. Yeah, I, although he isn't vanquished. He, you know, he's still he's a rich guy who... Works in Rome in the in the Senate or whatever. Well, no, he works in he he has to go work in the shitty town uh, a while over. Oh, right, they exile him for a bit. Yeah, and it's like we'll bring you back to do your song and dance to convince people that uh, our new world order is good. Yeah. Uh oh yeah, uh, the establishment of uh, fascism happens in this movie. Yeah, there's a bit of that. Uh, they they definitely lean into it. Not that it wasn't already there. This is sort of, I, I guess the interesting thing about this movie is they could get away with a lot more stuff and they could do things that probably they couldn't have gotten away with if it were set in anything present day uh, mm-hmm. un, under the Hays Code because it's in the pre-Christian godless times of Rome. Uh, like very distinctly pre-Christian, because this one doesn't have any of that uh, uh, Jesus stuff. Yeah, so coming in, <laughs> you know, like Ben Hur sort of does of, uh, this, but oh, I was actually me. thinking of Hail Caesar too. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the whole George Clooney thing where he just weeps when he sees Jesus. Yeah, I, and I feel like a lot of their Hail Caesar is also based visually on spartacus uh, that it, i did keep going back to that a lot as i was watching this movie it's like hey, this looks like a scene from hail caesar kind of but like that establishing shot of rome feels very yeah hail caesar mm-hmm. but that doesn't happen for quite a while mm-hmm. uh, we start off with 
big words on the screen that say Overture. Not even the name Spartacus or anything, just Overture. And music. So what they would do with these is this is what would be playing when people were coming into the theater for the first, like, ten minutes before the movie played. That's exactly what I thought of, actually. I was like, hey, this kind of feels like, you know, when you go into the movie and they're – before they had that – what's that guy's name? Ah, Who cares that guy's name? You know the guy, though. (laughs) Yes, I totally know. (laughs) Before they had – like, hey – Here's some trivia about all the new movies releasing today. They would just play music and just have a <laughs> blank screen. Welcome to the Cineplex pre-show. I'm, yeah. I don't know. I, I can never remember. There's been a few of them. Uh, they're all obnoxious and it's all just kind of a drag. I just yeah. want to like be able to sit and listen to music and talk about movies with friends before a movie personally. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, this, this will let you do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just weird that if they played this in a theater now, we'd have the pre-show and then we'd have this for like eight minutes. I feel like they'd just remove it if they played it now. Yeah, they would. Or like if it were a place that were actually doing a proper screening of this, it, it would probably be a place that doesn't have that obnoxious stuff. Uh, because like there used to be a local theater that did that. It's just they closed during the pandemic. Oh, uh, yeah, they... I get sad whenever I walk by them. I know, because it's such a cool building, too. And I can't I imagine what they're going to do with it. Really? Yeah, I never got a chance to uh, to, to go watch a movie there. Really? I, see, I saw a bunch of movies there. I could have sworn I went to a movie there with you. Didn't we see... Uh, I'm, I'm sure we saw freaking, uh, the, the, the animated Spider-Man movie there. Was it there? Yeah. I don't remember that. And it I'm could, pretty sure also Mandy, right? I thought I'm like those 99% were the... certain I saw both Mandy and that one there. Uh, yeah. I thought those were at the recliner theater. Yeah, that is the one. Oh, I'm thinking of the, the other one. Uh, up, uh, the one that's not downtown. Okay. That one's no, closed no. too? Yeah, that one closed, unfortunately. Oh, lame. <laughs> A really beautiful old building, uh, core downtown Victoria. Uh, the uh, it, it, it was uh, it was called like the Capital Six or something. Right. The Capital Six. Uh, I, I think it did remain the Capital Six, even when they like they closed for like five years and then came back, reopened as kind of an art house theater. When I was a kid, they had like an arcade built into the bottom floor. Johnny. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've been to the arcade. Yeah. No, I've, I've been in this theater many times. Yeah. With yeah. You with. Oh, yeah. 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 Right, I was yeah. thinking of a different one. Yeah, no, I, I I don't know. But yeah, unfortunately, yeah, the Capital Six closed uh, this year, I think, like the beginning of the year or something, maybe last year. Oh, damn. That yeah, sucks. bummer. I liked that one. Yeah, but they were cool. They didn't play a bunch of annoying pre-show shit. They just would have right, soundtrack music playing. Yeah, you're movies. right. Yeah, so that they would have shown this in a non-stupid way, I guess. Probably. Probably. If they did so, repertory stuff and if they still existed. If so. they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we got four minutes of that. And then finally we see the Universal logo. Um, it, it was just jarring to me because i never seen this happen on a, a home movie release before or a mm. home video. Because like, you know, it was, I, I just never seen that as part of the movie, but I thought it was really cool to have here. Yeah, um, it's, it's I, uncommon because, like, not a lot of movies did this. 
Mm-hmm. I like the music that they use because they used circus music, which is what you know. The it really blew my mind the first time I learned like the, the circus entrance song. of the gladiators. It's called the entrance of the gladiators, and I'm yeah. like, what, why would they do this for gladiators? And it's like, well, gladiators were just another clown show to these people back then. Well, literally, that is a song that would have been used. Like, oh, so that, like that's where that is the origin of that song. It comes from that tradition. Oh shit! So, like, so this it, isn't that song, but no, and it's just like that. That music wasn't supposed to be silly. It was just very pomp and circumstance, and that's kind of over time become silly to us <laughs> because, because of association with circuses, more or less. Yeah, even though circuses were more about spectacle than silliness, like the whole breaded circus was like yeah. a thing. Yeah, the the circus does uh, come from Rome, as does like circusy music. It's just they thought it was pretty rad back then. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it, it was their junkie XL or uh, what's the guy uh, Tyler Bates, <laughs> who, who who does the scores for most of like the <laughs> Zack Snyder movies and stuff. Oh, <laughs> he definitely did three hundred. You know. Oh man, imagine 300 going. Honestly, oh yeah, I think that. I think it would be better. I would probably enjoy it 80% more. Because I mean, just embrace it that that movie is an underwear commercial in motion. It so is. So yeah, four minutes of that, and then we get the Universal logo, and then we get four more minutes of opening credits. But I really like these shots because it's all just like shots of statue hands. Beautiful opening credits. A great sequence by Saul Bass, who is sort of the originator of the opening sequence as something you watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the opening sequence would be something that they just kind of play on the curtains and, while people were filtering in and was oh. often something people just kind of ignored. Oh, interesting, because this I, did, I didn't realize that it was like that. This actually kind of reminded me of like almost like a James Bond opening a little bit with it the catches visuals, the attention. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very like, attention grabbing. Yeah. Like you see swords like coming together one from above and one from below the screen mm-hmm. uh like statue hands and they'll just like sometimes they'll crumble just like uh, a lot of cool iconic gladiator imagery to get you in the mood mm-hmm. and then at the eight minute mark is when the first scene actually happens which is uh there, there's the narrator saying, like, one century before Christianity, Romans did a slavery, and they were real dicks about it. I mean, uh, they, they had been doing slavery. They had been, yes, the, their whole Slavery was, it was a thing. Slavery continued to exist. But one man wanted to fight against it 2,000 years before slavery was finally almost eradicated. <laughs> slavery <laughs> was... Uh, uh, downplayed we're still working on it okay we're, we're still we're working, working on it, on it. We're, we're getting there uh what was that country that built a world cup stadium using slaves uh, uh a I couple of years ago several of them i don't know several they're, they're... of them back in like 2019 <laughs> these uh, things happen is that yeah uh the global so economy was, uh, something something <laughs> i don't know if we really did get rid of slavery like the movie says but uh, you know People were very optimistic in the late 50s and early 60s. It was a period where everyone was pretty feeling like, oh, man, the future is so bright. Yeah, that's true. Put on some shades. 
They just won a world war not too long ago. Yeah, they had. Uh, I mean, you know, most people. <laughs> well, except for yeah, except for the part of the world that didn't win. I, although, to be fair, the the country that you know had the two nuclear bombs dropped on it was experiencing its own economic miracle and was also pretty optimistic, although really concerned with everything nuclear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we find out our hero Spartacus. Uh, was sold to a Libya mine at the age of 13. And uh, he does not like being a slave. He it's is been... anti-authoritarian. He is so anti-authoritarian. You can't tell this man to do anything without him giving you sass. And he looks well, like Kirk Douglas. So and he looks like Kirk Douglas. He's frightening. He's like a statue come to life. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and he always... but. He'll, he always uh, reaches out a hand for his fellow slave. Uh, he hates the establishment, but is definitely kind to his equals. He's the purest of pure. Like, he is mm. a completely heroic character without the slightest blemish. Uh, yeah. He, totally. he is flawless. Uh, and, and he's vulnerable, and, like, there, there's really nothing that you can throw at him that is a negative, which... Uh, is, is why Stanley Kubrick didn't like the character and kind of didn't love the movie. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he just felt like Spartacus wasn't interesting enough. He wanted him to have some kind of quirk, and he just doesn't. What quirk would you give Spartacus? I don't know. He, his quirk <laughs> is that he's just one of the most heroic figures in history who led a slave revolt during, you know, centuries of fascism, just sort of at the end of things kind of being like, Hey, maybe uh, this is all going to crumble. I don't know. <laughs> I I feel like Kirk Douglas made the right decision as the executive producer on the project. Mm-hmm. So after we watch him do slave stuff for a bit, uh, he we find our next uh, character. Oh, I wrote his whole name. Oh wow, uh, Lentulus Batias, uh, played by the great Peter Ustinov. Batiatus. Um, uh, Batiatus. Oh, I didn't write it down correctly. Um, the <laughs> yeah. rest of my notes have him as Batty. So yeah, Batiatus. I I would say arguably the secret, like main character of the movie. Co-lead. He's probably my favorite. I co-lead. really like him. I could call you could call him a uh, you could call him a co-lead, yeah, or or the, at has, least the main supporting actor. Yeah, because he does have the the biggest arc of the whole movie. Uh, and, and like, obviously, like the chief figures are Kirk as Spartacus and uh, Olivier uh, as uh, the villainous Crassus. But then, He's like, very crass. He is. It's, a, it's actually not, but you know. He's a fucking asshole more than anything. He's a dick. Oh my god, I hate this man. Um, I hated Batiatus at first, but he kind of grew on me. Yeah, I mean, he's a slave owner, but that's kind of. Uh, the dude in your there wasn't anybody who isn't, mm-hmm. and uh, he he's looking for slaves too. And he, I love him, his like whole act, like the voice he uses. He uh, he's definitely like, Oh, this is positively dreadful. All this sun, oh, he's putting the umbrella, he's hanging, putting the umbrella over me at the wrong angle. Can you believe I have to pay this man? It feels like an Oscar Wilde character, uh, just sort of off in the Roman Empire. (laughs) 
Lee. Uh, if he had a monocle, he'd be dropping it constantly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's he's like doing his whole oh woe is me, but he's like hey look I'm looking for slaves. Who's your best one? Oh, this is my best slave. Oh really? What about that guy? Oh, that's Spartacus. You don't oh, yeah, want and, him. And and we had seen him be disagreeable before. Yeah. Uh, because like the, he had helped a guy up, and then the guards had objected to him helping the guy up for no apparent reason, and. He got in a fist fight with them, of course, because that's... Oh, yeah, he bit the dude's ankle and, like, hamstringed him. That's rad. Yeah, uh, it, it's not for no reason that he that the guards got into a fight were objecting to him helping the guy out. It's because he dropped <laughs> oh, the yeah, rocks yeah. down the thing. Yeah. We need those rocks. Don't help. We don't need people. We need rocks, man. Rocks over people every time. Uh, and And so, yeah, he, he bit them, and he... Uh, he he shows up and he's just tied to a rock when we next see him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drew out his whole scruffy beard. And the guy's like, oh, well, let me see a look at his teeth. Tell him to open his mouth. Why isn't he opening his mouth? Does he not obey you? What? What is this? Well, I never. Uh, yeah, the, the teeth thing, him, him examining uh, people's teeth like they're animals uh, is something that comes back a lot. They're, they are not... They, they do not shy away from any of the slavery elements here. Like this is scripted by Dalton Trumbo. Uh, this is the movie that pulled him off of the blacklist. They were like, we're going to get this guy to script the movie. And no, we are definitely crediting. We don't care about the blacklist anymore. And that's kind of what set that in motion. Now, is this like the McCarthy blacklist yeah. or is this like, oh, OK, so yeah. the, the big one. <laughs> this is like, the big one. Yeah, because like when I think blacklist, I also think of like the Weinstein blacklist, which right, wouldn't right. have existed yet. Yeah, no, th this is. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Dalton Trumbo had communist sympathies and uh, they kind of come through in this movie. Uh, he kind of do. He's he's coming back to it and he's like, all right, I'm back and I am not hiding anything. And uh, this is how we're doing it. And they're like, we are putting the name on it. We don't care what you think. <laughs> Great. The Antifa movie of the 60s. Kind of. And it was the number one movie of the year. Mm -hmm. and a whole, it was a family favorite with limbs lopped off and flaming logs. <laughs> flaming logs and, yeah. Uh, crucifixions. Oh, oh today I learned. <laughs> I thought crucifying was just something that they saved for Jesus. And it was uh, like a special thing for him because he was particularly... A threat to the roman empire so no they just did that to everyone it was pretty popular you know it, it's it's a thing you do for anyone you kind of want to make an example out of and they really like to make an example out of people uh yes uh yeah so after some back and forth he decides to buy spartacus and we see the uh, i love the establishing shot of his gladiator school mm -hmm. uh it's just like it gives me the feeling that the entirety of like the major parts of the Roman Empire were all like landscaped uh, professionally, just the way all the trees are positioned and everything. I mean, I guess part of it is bias, historical bias, but it kind of does seem like everything was probably because they had slaves to do they, that shit all yeah. the time. Yeah. So like, you know, if, if someone like him who's slave rich... <laughs> <laughs> it definitely has the resources, uh, it, it, you know, like uh, the, oh, you know, a man who's elephant rich, honey, would not need to hurt your elephant. <laughs> yes, I suppose 
to someone whose ivory supplies were running low. Exactly. So yeah, he's uh, he he's got his whole slaves. He him and uh, his assistant, who I thought would be a bigger character, but better that he's not. Uh, Marcellus. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about how they're talking about like what it's going to be like now that you're not slaves, you're gladiators, but you're still slaves, really though. Oh yeah. It's like, uh, oh, what is it? We have to treat you well and make sure that you don't actually break until you're sold. Um, <laughs> so you'll be actually allowed to eat uh, decent food and you'll get massages and oils and you'll be allowed to exercise. And you'll have proper rest. Uh, you'll even have a woman, although we'll take all the fun out of that. Oh, yeah. They are gross about it. Uh, just to kind of dig the boot in and remind them that they are slaves. Like, we're going to treat you really well and give you a lot of benefits, but you do belong to us, so we're still going to be jerks about it. And if you do well, you could some gladiators live up to five or maybe even ten years. Ooh! <laughs> don't you feel lucky? Uh, and again, you see Throughout this entire movie, you see all of the roots of everything in uh, Russell, Clo Russell Crowe's Gladiator. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it stole wholesale from this movie. I remember very little about Gladiator because the theater I like that it. I was in was extremely obnoxious. Uh, so I couldn't focus on it anyway. But I feel like I just watched a better version of it again just now. Yeah, yeah, basically. Like, this is the true historical version that's kind of the amped up uh, shaky cam popcorn version of it. And I think they're both great. I, I do really like Ridley Scott's Gladiator, but uh, I do feel that this is the better film. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably not that controversial of an opinion. Probably not. Probably not. Um, well, yeah, Gladiator was just about gladiating. This is about... He stops being Gladiator pretty quick here. Yeah, he, he leads a whole rebellion. Uh, and, of course, uh, to be fair, Gladiator 2000 won Best Picture, whereas this was not even nominated. So, what, I mean, it wasn't? <laughs> no. Uh, this was just a big popcorn film at the time. No kidding. It was the number one movie of the year. They're like, ah, popcorn bullshit. We're not giving any awards to that thing. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, but so Batiatis ends his, uh, his speech with it. I, I love this line. May fortune smile on some of you. Just like, yeah, it's a real good deal. But by nature, you are all going to die. So whatever. I just um, I just have a job to do. I don't actually care about any of you. And it's like, well, look, some of you are definitely going to have to kill each other. So just get used to that. Uh, things are tough for your life. But you guys are slaves, so you're already used to that. This is kind of just, as a slave, it is almost an upgrade from probably anything else they were doing before, unless they had sort of an okay <laughs> slave position. Maybe some of them were just gardeners before and things weren't so bad. Maybe I kind of get the feeling that, uh, that Gracchus's slaves weren't that poorly. Some of them weren't that poorly treated. It kind of seems like most of them have an, an okay experience if they're like house slaves, but these are all tough dudes who are oh, barely. Yeah. It kind of seems like all of them were doing hard labor somewhere where if they took a rest, someone was probably going to whip them to death. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of an upgrade yeah. <laughs> in, yeah, a, in a certain yeah. sense. 
you get you get to eat food. They they make you rest because that way you can't perform a good show if you're tired. And that's what it is. These are like entertainers. Yeah, they're they're building you up and and like teaching you to fight. Yeah, what could go wrong? Yeah, <laughs> you're just gonna like get a whole class of people who are expendable and teach them how to fight uh, and make them extremely aggressive and have to be extremely competitive, uh, and then just like don't give them any rights at all. That'll probably work out for you just fine. That historically, that's always good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get to see, we, we have a few scenes of uh, Marcellus just chewing scenery. He's like meeting his first run-in with Spartacus. He's like, I I like you guys. I want to be all of your friends. He talks like this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he's almost got a Kirk Douglasy chin, too. And, and he's got like those really hard eyes, too. And he singles out Spartacus because everybody singles out Spartacus. Spartacus radiates anti-authoritarianism. Yeah. Just it's it's coming off him in waves and it's like, oh, this guy. (laughs) And he's like, you, you want to kill me, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) He's secretly the cookie monster, cookie monster McGraw. (laughs) Uh, If he was cookie monster, he would have survived how he got killed. That's true. He could have just... Oh, well, we'll get to that because he <laughs> has a fun death that made me happy. It was good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, here's where we find out that while Kirk Douglas or Spartacus definitely hates authority, he's not so stupid as to uh, just blindly slash out. The guy gives him a sword is like, hey, you can kill me. This will be the only chance you get. So you better take it now. <laughs> yeah, he's Spart- not stupid. Yeah, he's like, uh. No, no. Killing like, you is absolutely not going to set me free at all. Come on, man. I, I know better than that. I'm not an idiot. I, I, I'm, I wasn't born a slave yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, of course, with all he says all this without dialogue. Yeah. Uh, he just stares intensely like, yes, I do want to kill you, but I'm not going to because I'm not stupid. Just great Kirk Douglas face. Like the the guy had a hell of a face. Uh, he he looked like nobody else on earth until Michael Douglas came along. You know, yeah. he he's just got uh, an incredible chiseled face. He looks like he was carved out of rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the guy's like beating him, like, "Come on, attack me with a sword." And he does. Of course, he doesn't. So no, he's like, "Ah, oh, you're not as stupid as I thought." Um, yeah, and which which makes him even more of a target going forward. Of course. Like, oh man, now he's smart and anti-authoritarian. This is going to be a problem for me. Spoiler alert: It is a problem <laughs> for a, him. It's a huge problem for him. Uh, it's probably a bigger problem for other people, but it becomes a pretty big problem for him too. Next it's a big problem see, for a lot of folks. Yeah. Uh, next, we see how they uh, do the sex. <laughs> you just oh, yeah. the women just come in in a line like single file and it's like you go to him you go to her you go to you'll go to spartacus uh, verinia yeah verinia Gina simmons uh the the female lead of the film there are very few women in the movie yeah actually she is about well there's many women in the movie but she's about the only one of note yeah there there are like Ladies hanging off of dudes, 
like getting them to make bad decisions once in a while, but she's the only one who's a character with motivations and mm-hmm. drive. Like another one who has a full arc. Yeah, I like her. I, mm, I really she's great. like her a lot. Um, and yeah, like the the scene where she's first meeting Spartacus, and he's just like so so gentle, but also like uh, it's like a tender hesitancy, like trepidation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time describing like this. It, it's it's interesting because it feels anachronistic. You know, he's a slave, uh, but it, it, it's just he has this vulnerability and tenderness to him that is so unexpected from him. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he's immediately shamed for it from above. Yep. <laughs> Where uh, Batiatis and Marcellus are in the skylight. He's like, he's like <laughs> one of the first things he says to her is, I've never had a woman before. Well, you have one now. <laughs> so what's you going to do about it? And he's embarrassed because, you know, they're they're watching him like, come on, guys. He's embarrassed, but also like he he feels embarrassed for her, too, for her. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to dishonor like to do this to her because he realizes I I think he like realizes in real time in this scene that she's also a slave and not just a woman who's there. And and it's like, oh, shit, she doesn't have a choice in this matter either. Right. He's a pioneer in believing in human dignity as a universal factor. Mm-hmm. Something that was revolutionary at the time. Yeah. So he basically shouts at them like, I'm not an animal. I'm not an animal. Yeah. Full John Merrick. So we've got a bunch of training montages happening. Great uh, training montages. Really yeah, really cool. They got like the I like the spinning uh, thing that they got to jump over and duck under and then they can mm-hmm. take off the thing to make blades. Oh, yeah, that rules. It, it feels like something in a kung fu movie. It super does. Uh, like, yeah, I could see there's so many kung fu movies that have like that exact thing pretty much. Yeah, like uh, eight diagram pole fighter. The, the dogs sort of were a, a variation on that concept. Oh, the, like the, the, the big dog statue. dogs. Yeah, yeah, those were cool. Those ruled. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, so they're doing a bunch of training. And then the next or an untold number of nights later, who really yeah. knows? Uh, Marcellus brings in. Uh, God, I cannot keep her name in my head. I've written it Virinia. down on every page. Verinia. Thank you. He brings her in and then he's like. Oh, wait, actually, I'm not giving her to you. I'm giving her to someone else. Have a good night. You don't get to fuck anyone today. Ha, 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 ha. Screw you, Spartacus. He really does have kind of a cookie monster cadence, though, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. Um, and he's, he's not a... in the movie long enough for it to be annoying. No, he's just kind of got this big cartoon voice. But that that is a thing about this movie is that the mo- the performances are all sort of huge. Oh yes, like it, it was the style of the time, certainly. But like it, it was sort of moving into realism. Whereas, uh, yeah, these are all big classical theatrical performances, mm-hmm. especially the villains who are just like the biggest, most villainous. <laughs> they are so oh, they're so bad. So, yeah, like, while in between training montages, we've got Spartacus and Verinia, like, exchanging meaningful looks and Marcellus just being like, 
ah, you can't have her. We own her. We decide if you can have her or not. Uh, keep your eyes on the prize or whatever. It's weird. Just yeah. it, it's very petty. Oh yeah, he's just a dick. Uh, we cut to Batitis's office where we're finding out that these two nobles from Rome are arriving. He's like, oh, I don't care. I'll wait for them. Or no, make them wait for me. I'll be ready when they're... Uh, one of them is Crassus. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. It's Crassus. He's important. He's such a fucking dick, too. Oh, Crassus uh, is, is a dick. Is it Crassus with Crixus here? Uh, Crassus with... Garble. Um, I don't Glabrous. have his name written down. Yes. Glabrous. Yeah, Glabrus. Uh, Marcus Don Jr. Publius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Marcus Publius Glabrus. And man, what a fucking loser this guy is. What a dick. Uh, I thought Crassus was going to be like the, the part one villain and then Caesar would be the part two villain. But uh, it turns out uh, Glabrus is. Well, Glabrus is nothing. Yeah, so uh, for for reference, I I know him best in uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rope as one of the two characters, the, the the his Leopold and Loeb. Oh shit! Okay, cool. And he brings a similar sort of energy to this as just kind of a weaselly little shit who's very bloodthirsty and pretty evil, pretty just nakedly evil under his you know uh uh wealthy comfort right like his his sheen of respectability uh are, sorry are we talking about glabrous or crassus here um, well kind of both of them honestly but i i would say especially glabrous okay yeah uh <laughs> I, I always got like from this scene i kind of got the feeling that glabrous is like the hanger on and crassus is the real power it's like oh yeah well i'll give you control of the garrison Oh, yeah. Um, he, like you said, Don Jr., he feels like a fail son, 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when he, like, fails out of society later in the movie. <laughs> he, he got canceled. <laughs> they had to, like, for real cancel for him. For real he had canceled. To just, like, he doesn't get to go on a book tour. He's like, dude, you are going to have to leave the country uh, circa right now. Like, Oh, well, can I come back? And like, I'm afraid that is not on the table anymore. <laughs> we are making it illegal for people to help you in any way. Yeah, uh, you are now fully canceled. A hundred percent. See ya. Uh, yeah. And uh, notably, uh, Batiatus puts a blanket over the bust of uh, another notable senator who Crassus doesn't like. Who is? I uh, think it's Gracchus. It is Gracchus, and uh, we're going to find out more about him later. <laughs> He, the Phantom Menace, Gracchus. <laughs> I, I, yeah, he's the one who I've been calling Fat Palpatine, but it turns out he might, he's probably the lesser evil here. He's the Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> the the incredible Charles Lawton, who I'm uh, just a, a very huge fan of. He's, uh, he he is one of these great theatrical classic actors. Like he he's best known for Captain Bly in the original Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh, cool. He's, like, terrorizing Clark Gable. Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. Lots of great stuff. I, I, I think I first saw him in an Abbott and Costello movie where he's playing a pirate. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. It was honestly very fun. <laughs> right on. 
Uh, so he, so it's yeah, it's him and Glabrous, uh, Crassus and Glabrous, and he's brought, you know, two women wives or whatever. It doesn't matter; they're not important. Uh, Helena Glabrous and uh, his woman, like Crassus's. I, I, she feels like a mall, like a gangster's mall more than anything. But I thought it was her wife, his wife at first, but he has only one love. <laughs> he wants to fuck Rome. He, yeah, he sensually. Yeah, he he just wants to uh, make sweet love to the people. Yeah, I don't recall. Uh, I I presume it's Claudia Marius, uh, and. Because, like, it's the two of them who are sort of driving this. The, they have this weird competitive streak. Oh, yeah. They they are trying to out-Karen each other. They're so gross. Yeah, so they want uh, they want Batiatus to... It's like, hey, you're going to entertain us by making two of these gladiators fight to the death. Oh, well, that's not really what we do here, you see. Um, if I may, your honor, as, as you see, to the... Uh, I just love Batiatus so much. It's classic Ustinov. That, that's like completely his thing, as we've now seen in a couple movies where he just sort of has this weird, rambling, addled way of speaking that's oddly charming. Oddly, yeah, <laughs> but he does it in a completely different way here mm-hmm. than he does in Logan's Run. It's like a completely different cadence and voice. And, well, and, here, and I do like, feel like I've heard this voice before talking like this in like some cartoons or something. Certainly some cartoons have copied this. I, I would say a lot of uh, characters from this era are, are like the heavy influence on most cartoon voices <laughs> that we're familiar with. Uh, yeah. So he's basically like saying, well, hey, like that's killing. I don't we, they're not supposed to die until after they get sold. I mean, this is hurting my bottom line. I can't sell them if they're dead. 25,000 bucks. Okay. Well, he's like, as well, you know, it's bad. It, it's really bad for the morale of the entire school. You know, if if I make a couple people who are living here and supposed to be, you know, building themselves up, fight to the death, that kind of sucks. You know, yeah. everybody's going to be kind of mad at me for doing that because I said literally when they all I, got here that I don't I do promised. that here. Yeah, I I feel like him kind of acquiescing is both the matter of just the large sum of money and that he knows that they're not going to stop asking. Yeah, and that um, at a certain point he can't refuse, so it's like I I kind of just need to accept, and if I like accept it too high of a level, I. Uh, uh, they're going to feel slighted by me or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's worried that these Karens are going to complain to the corporate office. Yeah, well they'll they'll go straight to which Gracchus, they will maybe. Yeah, yeah. Although I guess I guess Crassus kind of is the corporate office around here. So sorta. Yeah. Big man uh, in charge. Yeah. So we've got like the two Karens uh, choosing their gladiators, and it, this looks like. Two kids at a zoo choosing which, uh, you know, which bear is their favorite. Yeah, they're they're really gross. Uh-huh. I, and like, and it's not just two fighters. Remember, they they are. Oh yeah, there's four. Four fighters, and they get to pick who they are. Yep, because there's going to be two fights to the death. And of course, they choose all his best people and all our main characters. Uh, and and we've sort of skipped over that. Uh, he, Kirk Douglas had made one friend. 
and he we also introduced Woody Strode and he had tried to make friends with him and uh Woody Strode was like nah I might have to kill you so not making friends with you bro <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and the other guy was like well if we were paired together would you kill me well yes I'd have to and you'd have to kill have me to. that's how it works here this is this is what slavery is bro so who I was this it, other guy I can't remember. I don't know uh he doesn't I don't no, think he, he makes make it, it. Well, no, he makes it for a little while, I think. I'm not sure. Um, I think he survives this fight because he is one of the people chosen, isn't he? He is, yeah. Um, he, so, and I think he survives that fight. He's in the first pair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember the name of that dude. No, me neither. Um, he's not one of the big important ones. No, he, he just sort of fades into the background after this. I think he does get killed off at some point. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we also find out that Crassus has – he is down bad for Varinia. Oh, yeah. He is, like, so into her uh, to the point where he just ignores his arm candy. I, and, and that's actually kind of a running theme as well is that anytime we're hanging out with these rich dudes with tons of slaves, all of them kind of have a thing going with just a whole bunch of their slaves. And some of them it's – it seems to be kind of a positive situation. And some of them, it's just like, it's a living. <laughs> yes. Uh, particularly uh, the, the great Antoninus when we get to him. So <laughs> maybe my favorite character in the movie. He's he's fun. The scene where, oh uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get mm, to him. Mm, yeah. Mm. He also juggles. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh yes, and sings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're getting ready for the big fights. Uh, I like how they did the first fight. They, we just see Spartacus and the black guy. Woody Strode. In the, oh, oh, is that who it? Okay. The, the amazing the, Woody Strode. Okay. Legend. Nice. Uh, in a shed, uh, like the shed for the makeshift arena that they, I guess, just popped up today because they weren't planning to have an arena. Uh yeah, so it's it's like the the little staging area that they wait in to go out to have their fight, but they have to wait in this box and listen to the other fight happening without being able to see it. Yeah, well, they they also have to listen to uh, Crassus and Garble talking about rich people problems. Yeah, those dicks. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> it, it rang of uh, exterminating angel anytime these guys were talking. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're talking about like their political bullshit uh, that actually is important. But I just wrote it down as I can't believe the poor slaves got to listen to this rich people shit. Mm-hmm. And then we don't really see the fight. We just we hear the fight and we see uh, Spartacus and the other guy like reacting to it. And we can kind of see bits and pieces of it through the cracks in the boards, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, an interesting decision to basically not show it and just kind of show the impact of the fight on the upcoming fighters more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And just also hear the just a total lack of care of the people watching and, and how meaningless it is to them. Oh, yeah, they're, they're just watching paying attention. People. They're barely paying attention. They're watching like they have paid a bunch of money to watch a couple people fight to the death. Just, you know, for their private amusement. Yeah, and they're here talking about, like, oh, well, the wine over here. 
oh, well, you know about the Senate. I, I like how it ends, though, because they open up the door and you can just see one dude getting dragged away. Yeah. Uh, and, and the survivor is the guy who we have an established friendship with, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, now we get the first actual fight scene that we see. Uh, not a lot of fight scenes in this movie, believe it or not. There but are the ones. They're there big. are giant battle scenes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, this might be the only one-on-one fight scene we see. Yeah, the only proper like gladiator scene. Yeah. Uh, Kirk Douglas has this like uh, the big guys got a trident in a net, and Kirk Douglas has like this little like fist-sized shield. Like, what are you supposed to do with this? So and tiny. Uh, and a short sword. That that sad little shield. Like, and and it is a short sword too. And and just mm. how pathetic the little shield is and it, it does not seem very sturdy because it gets hit a couple times and like it you know it it's it feels the impact very clearly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's uh yeah it's not very effective so yeah they're fighting for quite a while actually because uh, mm-hmm. they really are giving it their all and then uh, the black guy corners kirk douglas and the karen gives a thumbs down which and not uh, even looking at them yeah it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, which, of course, is like the symbol for, OK, I've decided you're to finish them off. Yeah, kill um, him. The, they can no decide. Mercy. Yeah, they can decide. It's like, OK, they fought good. You could actually let this one live. But that doesn't happen anywhere. No, because they, they weren't even watching because they don't care. Yeah. They just wanted just, to see them die. Yeah, just die for our amusement. Yeah. Or we'll talk to your manager. So, yeah, the black man does not finish off Kirk Douglas and instead uh, throws his trident up at Garble in the stands. And then he freaking runs up. I love this. He runs up and he hops the fence and like grabs uh, Crassus by the boot. And Crassus is just like, ew, one of these things is touching me and stabs him in the back of the neck with a dagger. Like Mm. fucking bastard. Yeah, pretty gross. Uh, And so, yeah, uh, Kirk Douglas is saved at the last moment mm. by uh draba being just as sick to death of this bullshit it's like you know what maybe i kill you maybe i kill you motherfucker yeah Let's see if we can do that instead yeah exactly be the change you want to see in the world yep but uh they did their whole making an example thing that the romans love to do and they're hanging his body upside down until it rots yeah, and it is there for uh, as long as we see this location. Yeah, it yeah it never stops being there, does it? Yeah. So the next day, uh, Spartacus sees Verinia getting wheeled out on a wagon because uh, Crassus forcefully bought her, I think at the same time that he forcefully paid for the gladiator fights to happen. Yeah, it, it was the exact same sort of situation. It's like, well, I don't really want to sell her. It's like, well... Uh, I'm going to give you this much money for her. It's like, okay, I guess I okay, have to. Okay, I guess she'll be on the wagon tomorrow. Yeah. And Marcellus is like, oh, wow, another chance to be a dick. Hey, Spartacus, your girl's getting sold to Rome. Ha ha. <laughs> and Spartacus is like, she's been sold. You're not allowed to talk. And just starts beating Spartacus. And Spartacus is like, oh, you know what? Fuck this. Eat soup, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wrote down, 
eat shit soup, Marcellus. <laughs> it looks really, it looks like really gross soup. Oh, probably is. Uh, so yeah, he fucking in the cafeteria drowns, drowns him in the soup. Drowns and him in the gruel. <laughs> and here's where Cookie Monster would have been able to survive because he would have right. just ate the soup. Well, I he don't know. Would would Cookie eat gruel? Like, would I? I feel like Cookie would drown in it if it were like cookie dough. Sure, I can see it. <laughs> uh, but if Cookie drowned in in gruel, Cookie no more can eat cookies. But but I like that it's like Oliver Twist's Revenge, the hardcore version. You know? <laughs> yep. Why don't you have some more? <laughs> <laughs> this so yeah, Rip Marcellus drowned in the soup. Very good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I was getting I was getting sick of this guy. It was pretty satisfying, and like it happens early enough. You're like, oh wow, nice. We're we're yep. going here really quickly. Yeah. So of course this starts a prison riot, basically. Yeah, um, well, that in addition to what just happened the previous day, they're like, man, this is some bullshit that we were told we were not going to have to deal with. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so it's like, hey, why don't we use all of our gladiator skills and uh, kick the shit out of these ordinary guards who don't have gladiator skills? Like, we, and, we just took out the main guy who's supposed to be the one who really keeps us in line, so... What's stopping us now? The fat guy? <laughs> well, not him, because he's like, oh, you know what? Why don't I actually deliver this girl to Rome personally while you solve all of this? You deal with it, second in command. Uh, he didn't deal with it, and we never learned the second in command's name. Uh, Sir Deadmeat. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Sir Deadmeat, exactly. <laughs> Sir, Sir left holding the bag. Man's out of it. <laughs> yes. Unsurprisingly, they kick the shit out of the soldiers. Uh, they very easily lock, knock down all the fences and everything. And it just kind of I think at this point, it just kind of dawns on them that this was really easy to do and they could have done it at any time. Yeah, uh, they, if, they, if they've all been of trained them would to do get. it. Yeah. And, and um, now, like, hey, now that we've done this, maybe we'll continue to do this. Maybe we uh, just start knocking down everybody. Yeah, and, and it's chaos. And yeah, they're knocking down walls uh, using like the grating, like the the barred walls to climb up over fences and things. Oh, it's and the soldiers are so outclassed. It's real good. So after this happens, we cut to Rome, and oh my god, this fucking opening shot of Rome. You just see like this huge old ass city all these people around this looks so good i just too bad about all the slavery stuff well it, it looks amazing and it's also like this instant contrast of rich and poor where you have like the upper level with all of like the people in rich red and gold robes and then like on the verge in between you can see some people begging and then in the in the bottom you just see lots of slaves in rags and brown yeah, basically divided by a staircase. Yeah. And like the the you got the upper and the lower and it is distinct. Mhm. It's just a staircase in between, but you you can only go up it to beg. Like yeah. there, there's no social mobility between the two. No, not at all. And we cut to the Senate uh where they're just deciding what to do with this little uh slave rebellion that Batiatus just let happen. 
because uh, <laughs> it's still small at this point and needs to be crushed. And Glabrus so, is like, oh, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I can handle it with the, the garrison. Because yeah, at this point, he is the leader of the garrison. He is the leader of the garrison. Him being the leader of the garrison is the only thing that keeps uh, Gracchus from being the main power in the city. So Gracchus is all like, uh, well, hey, you can't take the whole legion out because, you know, what if what if our slaves start to rebel? That's not okay. But why don't you take like six cohorts and you command them, and then I'll have my buddy, a uh, little-known guy named Julius Caesar, <laughs> just uh, be in charge of the rest of the legion who's stationed here while you're doing that. And Grack is like, yeah, that's great. Gl- Glabrus, uh, yeah, uh, he's Glabrus is like, yeah, that's great. Well, golly, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You're so helpful. That that probably won't backfire on me at all. Uh, yeah, he's dim. He's clearly very dim. Uh, yeah, he's not I, smart. A little guy named Julius Caesar, played by John yeah. Gavin. Uh, yeah. Doesn't do a lot in this movie, but you know he's just moving on to bigger things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, ooh, Julius Caesar. I feel like we should maybe watch out for this guy. Julius Caesar, John Gavin plays him, and he's, I think, the detective in Psycho. Oh, okay. Uh, which is the same year. Mm hmm. And uh, yeah, and Gracchus and Caesar are buddies, at least at this point they are. And, yeah, or or and, Gracchus is backing Caesar against yeah. Glabrus. Yeah, uh, he doesn't like Glabrus and he doesn't like Crassus, and he's right. He's right. <laughs> uh, it's actually at this point where Gracchus even says, "It's like, oh, he wants to love the city of Rome, if you know what I mean." Mm, yeah, and I was like, mm, that's a weird metaphor. But then when we hear Crassus talking about Rome, it's like, oh, no, this is actually exactly how Crassus feels. Yep. Uh, it, it is uh, completely distinct. And doesn't like isn't there a scene where Eustinoff goes to visit Gracchus and Gracchus is actually pretty chill? <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> or, that, or that's it... coming up in a bit. OK, yeah. But yeah, this guy is like basically saying, oh, yes, well, privately, I don't believe in any of the gods, neither do you. Publicly, I believe in all of them. I'm like, yeah. hmm, that sounds like every religious leader ever. Yeah. Uh, the the lessons of this movie are modern because Dalton Trumbo wrote it to be modern, for sure. <laughs> like, it, it is definitely supposed to reflect on modern hypocrisies. Yeah. So now we get uh, Crassus getting his new slaves, and here's where we meet Ed. Antoninus. Antoninus. They all the slaves have like they're carrying these cardboard signs that remind me of like those uh, pet shaming memes where you can have your dog with a sign that says I ate the uh, ate the thing out of the fridge or whatever. And his says like, oh yeah, he's good at singing, juggling, and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, well. And he's played by Tony Curtis, and he's very pretty. Just kind of unnaturally pretty. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think he's been chosen for a few reasons, actually, not just because of his singing talent. No, it's mostly because he looks like Tony Curtis and he's extremely <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I got a hot tub scene later. That's true. Uh, and I, I just I, I really love the way Tony Curtis just does not try to put on any sort of accent in this. He is just Tony Curtis to him. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm Antoninus. What of it? <laughs> hey, yo, I'm Antoninus. Like, yeah, I also juggle. 
don't you juggle these nuts? <laughs> he, he feels very uh, New Yorker uh, in, in the middle of... And, and that's sort of something that's always fun in all of these big epics. There is always someone who stuck with it, like Edward G. Robinson in, uh, I think, Ben-Hur. Uh, Edward G. Robinson being uh, the vocal inspiration for uh, Chief Wiggum. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's he, hilarious. So, yeah, he he pops up in Ben-Hur doing his, yeah, see? Uh, and it's good. It's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, so Crassus wasn't present at the Senate meeting. So Garble comes in and he's like super excited. He's like, oh, my God, Crassus, this is awesome. I'm going to chase down those slaves, uh, the Spartacus guy. Oh, man, I'm going to put down the slaves. I'm going to take my legion. And Crassus is like freaking out. He's like, you Wait. fucking idiot. He sees instantly how he's been grifted. Yeah, it's like you understand that uh, now there's absolutely nothing that keeps me in power in the city because you're gone and you're my guy and Caesar's in charge and Caesar is his guy. Oh, did I? Maybe I just won't go. Now you have to go now. Yeah, you've already said it in front of the whole Senate. You have to go. You can't just not go, you idiot. Uh, Well, maybe it'll... Yeah, totally. Maybe it'll work out okay. And uh, yeah, and Arrested Development narrator voice. It didn't work out okay. It didn't. It went no. really bad for Glabrus. Did Glabrus <laughs> even survive? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he that's was, right. He, uh, did he got that's canceled. Right. <laughs> he got super canceled. Maybe, maybe harder than anyone who's been canceled. Maybe this is kind of how we should carry out people being canceled going forward. It's like, no, you have to leave the country. We we just don't want to deal with your shit anymore. Peace. We're going to make it illegal to be nice to you. You're properly canceled. Get out of the country. Yeah. You're someone uh, else's problem going forward. Uh, but one thing that uh, one thing that I noticed as Crassus is berating Gra- Glabrus is he's talking about like how he wants to restore the old ways of Rome and the culture, and he wants to make Rome great again. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he's our he's our main villain. Yes. He, he is... Uh, he's a huge piece of shit. Oh, he sucks. He sucks. There, there's never anything he does that isn't him being a huge piece of shit. Throughout the entire movie, he is just constantly making things worse for everyone in every way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's like the whole Senate politic thing, at least for now, behind uh, what's going on and who's in charge of this and that as Glabrus goes out to very, very unsuccessfully squish the slave rebellion. Yeah, he's not going to really have a lot of success with that slave rebellion. And it's pretty obvious, like he only takes I think he takes what one legion? Uh, He takes six cohorts, so not even a legion. Right, not a legion. Yeah. Well, well, he wasn't allowed to take a whole legion because what if our maids started attacking us back home? I mean, it could happen. They 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 could feel pretty bold, and they're probably tougher than these lumps. Yeah, yeah. They've temporarily kind of built a base at uh, Batiatus's place. Spartacus kind of broods in his old cell for a little bit until he comes until he hears people. Uh, his guys are making the old Roman leaders that I guess they captured from wherever, making them fight to the death. He's like, yo, what are we, Romans? <laughs> right, yeah. They, they've they grabbed a couple guys and they're like, all right, you jerks. I'm like, no, no. 
come on, we're not doing the same shit that they did. Uh, We're not going to be hypocrites, okay? Yeah, yeah. He's like, if let's not be raiders. Actually, you know what we should do? Let's be gladiators and go and free all the slaves everywhere. And they're like, oh, that's actually a really cool thing to do. Hey, we are good at fighting. It's like, yeah, we, we're probably better at fighting. Like any any of us could probably take two Roman soldiers easy. Yeah. Is it two or three? Like sounds like any one of us could easily take at least two Roman soldiers. Mm-hmm. But like. Yeah, but one guy's all like, well, hey, yeah, we can take, like, Batiatus' shitty guards, but what about the actual Roman army? Right. But the plan is to get to, I didn't write down the name of the port here, but it starts with a B, and to hire pirates to go out to sea, which, and just say, peace, Rome, get out, we're gone. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, fine, we're going on permanent strike. Uh, we we don't like this slave business. We're not going to march on Rome and destroy you or anything. We're just out of here because fuck you. Uh, we'll we'll take our chances exploring on the high seas. Uh, nobody wants to be slaves anymore. Ah, oh, jeez, nobody wants to be a slave anymore. We just can't get good slaves anymore. I think so someone got... actually does say something about it. Man, it's hard to get good slaves these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we've got them riding through like more gorgeous scenery, and I want, I want, I don't know what Italy looks like now, but I want to visit this version of Italy. There, there are certain elements of it. Like, I mean, it, Italy is such an ancient place that so much of it is populated now, but, mm-hmm. uh, it, but there, there's also so much history in every area. Like, so much of it is filled with ruins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're just going through all these different towns, just recruiting whoever is like, hey, you guys, slaves work in the field. Why don't you come with us instead and just stop being slaves? What, like, walk away? Yeah, walk away. We've uh, got food. We've got weapons. Let's go fight the power. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you guys being guards for this shitty guy. Why don't you come join us instead? Okay. Hey, Viridia. Holy shit. I didn't even know. I thought you were in Rome. And they find Viridia. Yeah, because she took off. Yep. So <laughs> I love the scene where she's like saying, <laughs> where she's saying to, like telling Spartacus about what happened, because she just keeps cracking up because it's so funny. And I'm just imagining it. And it's like, I just jumped out of the car, and Batiatus is too fat to follow me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is perfect. Yeah. It yeah. makes absolute sense. And and it is, again, one of these other little things of, yeah, the, these guys are tough enough to uh, fight off the soldiers that guard them. But, like, all of these everyday slaves who are just dealing with a bunch of roly-poly Roman senators probably can just ditch them, too. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. the people do have the power in these systems just by sheer numbers. Yeah, which is... Well, which is why scares the shit out of Rome, which, you know, yeah. they, they make a, he makes a whole speech about that later on. Yeah. And, and just it's uh, terrifying to just the overall status quo that you know, the, the people at the bottom are always going to outnumber the rich. And it's the rich always trying to uh, obscure that fact somehow that, no, no, we, the rich, are definitely staying the most powerful forever. Uh, we'll we'll just hang on to that. Uh, we, we we definitely have the power to keep it uh, by means. Yes, we we earned all this. 
no, no, we did all the work. Yeah, but we told you to. That's that's what how earning works. Yeah, we 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 definitely don't think it would work if you rose up and ate us or anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> Signed, uh, rich people everywhere. Yeah. So this is also notable in that it's the first time that they're able to have a conversation because any other time they got uh, Marcellus through the skyline like, ha ha ha, you can't talk. Yeah. So, yeah, this is like the first time they talk to each other, really. Although they're already kind of naturally in love. Well, yeah. And uh, and it's one of those natural things. I'm like, yeah, I believe these two would fall in love with each other immediately. Just just based on how gentle he was with her in the jail cell at the beginning. It's like, oh, wow, this guy doesn't just immediately pounce on me. Wow. And they've both been through shit. They've they're both uh, people who are willing to take risks and they're both pretty pure and in intent. Like even though they've had to do things that they maybe didn't want to do, uh, they remain personally pure. Like they have no uh, negative objectives at any point. Like these two are completely unblemished. Mm-hmm. Uniquely, perhaps. Uh, yeah. So. I have mixed feelings about what happens next because, like, she says to him, like, I love you. But then she says, forbid me from leaving you. And then he's like, I forbid you from leaving. I'm like, isn't that just another kind of slavery? But But if that's all that these people – yeah, I mean, if that's all that these people know, it could be romantic. Like, their kind of – their brand of romantic because that's the only only frame of reference they have. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the language that they know. This is not like uh, a, a romantic society. <laughs> this is sort of prior to Shakespeare and, you know, flowery uh, poems about love. There, there's a, that's still kind of just beginning. And and people at this age or people in this, uh, the slaves, most of them don't know how to read or write or anything. That's that's still a mystery. That's an upper class thing. True, true. So, yeah, like I, I didn't like that at first, but thinking about it, I've kind of come around like. It's just, yeah, this, I get it now. And it is definitely not actually a master-slave thing. Like, he just says, I forbid you from leaving, but there's no, there's no authority. It's more, it's, it's, it is a love thing. Well, and as I said, like, he is a perfect hero with no uh, damaging quirks because he is completely, like, he is willing to treat everyone as an equal. Like, he is very pure in that sense. And, like, Trumbo makes him... Uh, totally without flaw. He he is a, a, a pure icon. Yeah. Uh, here's where we have Batiatus uh, meeting with Gracchus. And and they're they're both talking about how much they like to uh, have a bunch of sexy lady slaves around, and that they're you know going to treat them well and be kind to them. But like you know that's that's why they get the pretty ones. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like well. I'm not going to get married because then I can't have sex with all of these people. I only have to have sex with one person. What's the point of that? And that oh, seems like yes, it sucks. Uh, I understand. I definitely, indeed, I agree with your excellency honor of. <laughs> I, I I love doing his voice. It's just so much fun for me to do it. Uh, but Titus agrees with everyone on everything. <laughs> yeah, regardless of whether he actually does. He knows he's a man who knows his place within this society for his better first- or worse. His first instinct is always one of agreement. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, uh, well, yeah, I mean, maybe. But if we could just uh, consider that maybe not. 
We'll, we'll just like slowly move the dial towards no, but we'll start at yes every time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they have this plan where it's like, well, actually, you see, um, this this woman, I had actually sold her to Crassus, but you know, he she's gone and he never paid me. So you know, if you wanted her and you wanted to pay me for her, when I got her back, you could have her. Oh yeah, that'll annoy the shit out of Crassus. Let's do it. Which is fun, and it, it does actually serve an important purpose later. Yep. So then we get uh, Crassus and Antonius in a, Antoninus. in a hot tub. Antoninus, right. In a hot tub. They're talking about snails versus oysters, and it's very loaded. Oh, yes. He's like, uh, he's like, do you like oysters? When I have them, sir. What about snails? Oh, I don't like them. But get the metaphor, is, right? <laughs> but is liking snails wrong? Well, no, not really. It's just not my thing. And like they're going back and forth. And it, it, and it's, yeah. definite, it's definitely a sort of thing where it's, uh, well, you can learn to, to change your tastes. Uh, for me, you know, you're, you're going to have to learn to uh, like what I like. I like a bit of both, just so you know. <laughs> yeah wink and, wink and, wink yeah and he's like hey come on come and check out this balcony and we get like just in the middle of this intimate scene like another beautiful sweeping balcony shot Incredible. of the city uh of uh garble's mini squadron garble <laughs> i mean yes glabrous but uh uh just leaving to go and be completely ineffective against the slave rebellion and he's right. T- yeah, it, it is them marching away towards sunset to like uh, go screw it up big time. And he's talking about like how if you must if you want to serve Rome, you must love her. You must put, prostrate yourself before her. Get on your knees and beg, beg more, please, mommy Rome, more, please. And the, the, it's absolutely hilarious to me at the end of the scene that he turns around and like, hey, shit, where did he go? Yeah. <laughs> Like Antoninus literally just walked away off screen and ghosted him while he's talking about how bad he wants to get his tongue in between Rome's thighs. Yeah, he he was just out of there. He quit. Like, he quit being a slave. He's like, nah, screw this. I'm going to go find that rebellion that those guys are going to go quash. I'm just going to be with them. I don't want to deal with this snails and oysters bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I'm From Tony Curtis. From a guy Curtis. who wants to fuck a city. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I, it's especially because even though he's the bed slave and he's feminine and like he, his thing is singing and uh, 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 juggling and, and being entertaining rather than fighting. But he has the most like regular guy way of saying everything. <laughs> yeah. Really great yeah. contrast. It's like, uh no I don't like <laughs> I can't say I like snails man. <laughs> just yeah. him putting him up against Olivier is very funny, and then just him just g- disappearing in the just middle disappearing. of Olivier's ridiculous erotic speech about having sex with Mother Rome. <laughs> Great. Yeah yeah like like a text like hey boss I quit here's your key. Like through, it's like quitting through text message. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got Team Spartacus uh, fortifying their where they are currently, I guess, on like some hill. And 
oh yeah, here's where I noticed like it's not just uh, gladiator dudes among the slaves. There's all these women and children who are just along for the ride. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah, a full-on flavor babies. Belly. Yeah, like there's babies and shit. Yeah, they're not going to be doing the fighting. They're, they're they're rescuing everybody. Yeah, th- this is a cultural revolution. Like it's it's gone beyond just we're freeing ourselves. It's like we're getting all of the people who don't want to live in this system gathering together, and we're going to march out of this country. Uh, say screw you guys. Yeah, here here's here's where we hear about. Uh, Don Jr. Glabrous. Uh, Glabrous. Uh, his his shitty camp across the way that uh, they're going to <laughs> they're going to go and attack to, tomorrow probably. So he's like, oh well, why don't we just go attack him right now? Have they built their moats or their uh, their walls? Or it's like, oh no, dude, they're having a picnic. Yeah, they oh. they they do not get how serious this is. Like, oh man, we can actually probably take them out, and that would be very funny and bad for this guy yeah let's do it yeah so smash cut to the camp on fire yeah it did not take a lot they didn't even need to show this battle this one was easy they hit it in the middle of the night they did not know what hit them oh oh no i we skipped over though before this happens in the night uh, antoninus has joined the slaves and he's doing his old magic show and his poem and stuff well yeah he he calls it singing but it's more recitation uh, yeah. It's it's a recitation of like a classical poem, uh, and yeah, he he does his thing where like they're going down. Uh, Kirk Douglas Spartacus is going down a line of newly arrived escaped slaves. It's like, well, what are you good at? And it's like, okay, I can set you to work doing this, send you to do this. Oh, we need lots of cooks. That's great. It's like, uh, this isn't normal slave garb. What's what's with this? You're in a boy toy outfit here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it is a boy toy outfit, hundred yeah. percent. He's like, like, I'm good uh, at singing. He's like, I have no comment at this time. Uh, (laughs) Basically. Yeah. Like, well, well, what can you do? And it's like, well, I, I, uh, I sing. It's like, I I don't find that there's a whole lot of use for singing around here. Uh, What else you good at? I also juggle. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's almost a Bronson line, right? Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Hey, also juggle. It it does kind of have that cadence to it. It's great. Mm-hmm. And and then yeah, he he does this rousing uh, recitation of an epic, uh, and everyone kind of gathers around. And and that's also when uh, uh, Spartacus and Verinia have like another little romance scene. Yeah, this. I don't know if this is the first time they have sex, or if this is where they find out that she's pregnant. Oh no, they they find that out later. Yeah, I think that is later. Uh, this is where Spartacus is like, hey, I don't know, actually know anything about the world because I have no education. I don't know why the moon changes shape. I don't know where the wind comes from. I don't know where the sun goes when it goes down. I want to learn all this shit. Yeah, I, I would and, like to be an educated man. And I'm just trying to imagine going through life not even knowing that. It's like, it's got to suck. Yeah, but that was kind of the norm for thousands of years, <laughs> hundreds for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just uh, people didn't uh, education didn't trickle down to the people for uh, quite a long time. Quite a while after this too, yeah, because like it wasn't really until I guess the printing press. Right. I mean, there are places where it still doesn't fully. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just the internet has kind of democratized a lot of that. Uh-huh. Where there is access. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, right. We have that pirate guy, too. I guess we don't burn down the camp for quite a while still. Oh, so, yeah, the pirate guy. I, I he's like the one him. who warns about the uh, uh, Glabrus' camp. Yeah, is this uh, Levantus? Levantus, yeah. Tigrani's Levantus. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the great Herbert Lom, who who's just in everything, uh, he 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 was in all the Pink Panther movies, uh, as as the police commissioner, uh, and and he's I, I'm sure he's in Lawrence of Arabia and stuff too, like big oh, I big never things. Saw that. Well, that's that's like the other huge epic that I really love. Okay. It, and and that was like more of a modern epic, uh, set in, I think the Sahara Desert. In, oh, cool. Like, early 20th century i think good shit yeah so he so his pirate guys heard about the slave rebellion and is like hey we hate rome too so why don't we just help you out uh we're gonna sell you all these ships you can just pay for them with all the shit that you pillage from the romans everybody wins it's true and i was I, at this point i'm like i don't know about this guy he seems a little sketchy, but, you know, he, he also does kind of seem to be a career criminal. Yeah, uh, but he does warn about the six cohorts. Yes. And yeah, but he says to them, like, hey, why are you fighting? Like, you're going to die. You're fighting the Roman army. What's wrong with you? You're going to die. And it's like, yeah, but we're slaves. If So this is the part that really resonated with me here. He says to him, like, uh, okay, so when a free man loses his life, he loses his freedom. He loses his happiness. He loses all that stuff. When a slave loses their life, they lose their pain. For a slave, death is freedom. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And yeah, that that's why nobody in this army is afraid of death because it's better than where they came from. Yeah, and and, and it's sort of the core concept that uh, the, this movie is about. That like if you keep taking things away from people in this sort of fascistic system and hyper authoritarian system that eventually people have nothing to lose and they're going to just rise up and consume you and uh oh yeah so here's where he reports that the roman garrison was having a picnic and we Mm. smash cut to them on fire yeah uh glabrous not doing the job well blowing it. no no uh they they have him out like in front of spartacus and it's like Hey, man, I know I lost, but uh, you guys are bad and you should stop doing this. And uh, it's like, yeah, you see this baton that I stole from you? Yeah, it's like, do you recognize me? Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, all you slaves look the same to me, which actually is totally how the ruling class sees people. And it becomes a major problem for them. Oh, yeah. Like, the biggest problem for them, besides, you know, the rebellion itself, is that nobody can figure out what Spartacus looks like, even though, like, 90% of the bad guys have met him before. They got the face but, blindness, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> face yeah, blindness he, when it comes to pours. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so he smashes the, or cuts, breaks the baton in half. He's like, uh, you go tell your senator buddies that, we're just going to leave everybody alone as long as you leave us alone and let us get away to the seat. But we need slaves. Just just tell them. And if they leave us alone, everything will be fine. Otherwise, we'll kill the lot of you. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to just have to start killing people. Uh, anyone who resists us is going to have to die because uh, we're setting people free. Not negotiable. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Glavris was playing dead when they caught him. 
<laughs> of course he was. Cause, yeah, of course he was. Uh, they send him on his way, and here's the intermission. Very um, brief, though. Brief, but it is like more. It is more of the just music against the black screen. Nice thing. Yeah. Yep. And I was like, eh, you know, that's all right. I needed a break right around here. We're at like the two hour mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still got an hour left of movie. And uh, yeah, so let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves some snacks. So we open with Calabras telling the Senate about all the stuff that happened. And he's all like, uh, yeah, so they said we'll leave them. They'll leave us alone if we leave them alone and let them go out to the sea. And yeah, it sounds like this is all just going to resolve itself. And Crassus steps up. He's like, so you lost completely and had all these guys killed. Uh, did you dig a moat? Did you build uh, barricades? It's like, no, no, no. We, we got there kind of late in the day and the men were tired. So, you know, we were just going to leave it till morning. Like, yeah. Good, good job, dude. Good job. Uh, you're, they you're, were you're only gonna, slaves. They're only slaves. Like, you're going to have to leave the country. <laughs> and it's like, all right, well, he completely disgraced his, the entire Legion. Uh, what do we do with him? Cancel, cancel, cancel. Canceled. Yeah. So he is not, he is legally not allowed to have any food, water, shelter, or fire. Uh, within a 400 mile radius of Rome. Yeah, and Rome's nobody big. can. Yeah, nobody can give him that. They're not allowed to. It's illegal. Yeah, he just he's just gonna have to get the hell out of here permanently. Uh, he he screwed up the most. This is like I I do feel that this is a really good way to deal with your politicians if they have a grievous error of this nature. It's like well. I'm afraid you're done. <laughs> you're 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 not you're not even you're not allowed to be a politician anymore. In fact, you're not allowed to be part of the country anymore. You blew it. But but Rome is most of the world. Where can I go? Not our problem. It's like 400 miles out of the world, bro. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the whole ocean. So, and, you know, there's there's whatever's over there. Yeah. Uh, there, there are some heathens who I'm sure would love to eat you. Uh, but there, <laughs> and, and, like Crassus also sort of falls on the sword here. He's like, and since I'm the one who let this idiot be in charge of the Legion, uh, I'm going to retire too. Yeah, I'm I'm retiring to public or retiring from public life. Although he kind of just it wields a lot stick. of control in it. Yeah. Yeah. And and like everyone immediately is like, yeah, we'll fucking see when that happens, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, no. One thing is no politician ever actually retires. They all have their they, they love it too much. <laughs> I remember the scene in uh, Nixon with Hopkins when when they they pull him back in and he's telling his wife and he's like, yes, buddy, I think we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> you won't have all tricky dick to kick around anymore. Oh, man, I, I love that performance. You know, Hopkins actually dubbed. uh because the soundtrack to this movie was really heavily damaged oh. over the years. So uh, this version, I think, like m- modern versions of it, a lot of Olivier's lines are dubbed by Anthony Hopkins doing an Olivier impersonation. No kidding. Yeah. So a lot of uh, Crassus is actually Hopkins. No shit. Yeah. 
so yeah, he quits and uh, Grack is like, yeah, no, he's definitely coming back. This is oh, all God. just a ploy. This is like his, this is his big power grab, uh, disguised as him taking responsibility for his fuck up. This actually it, sucks for us. It it is completely him doing the oh you won't have uh, old tricky dick to kick around anymore. It, it's him yeah. doing one of those. Like yeah yeah. Yeah, so we've got huge shots of slaves moving across the countryside, like over hills, and it's only here that I realized that none, like you've told me, but it never like clicked in. Unbelievable. That none of this is special effects. Like yeah, there there aren't like Q-tip people on model hills or anything. This is just helicopter shots of people. So many of them. As far as the eye can see, just people. All, all outfitted as slaves in these scenes, and then and you know like, later. These are huge, wide shots. They're insane, like thousands of people, like so many people. Lord of the Rings has nothing on this. No, and like it's a Lord of the Rings esque vista, but covered in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh man, I love the later ones, like towards the end when the Roman legions are like doing their formation. I was like, That's, oh shit. Yeah, like those are so crazy. Just to to see the actual might of a Roman legion in motion is quite a thing. Mm-hmm. And oh, I don't want to get it too into it because I want mm. to have something to talk about when we get there. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we also see like just like the effects of this journey that's taking on people. Like we see uh, we see a couple burying a child. Yeah. Um, it's like the Oregon yeah. Trail. You, you're going to lose some. You get you get your dysentery. That's why you got to have five kids. Yeah, it's three a, it's of them will make road. it if you're lucky. Well, maybe. I mean, you're slaves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- things are tough wherever you're going to be. Uh, may as well we be also, on the train out of slavery. May as well. Actually, yeah. I mean, if it's going to suck anywhere, might as well yeah. try to get out of the suck. Yeah. Or, or or you could try to be a bootlicker. I, I don't know. Some people choose that route. I, I'm I'm not <laughs> not yeah. sure why. Yeah, well, you see, Your Honor, um, your boots, they taste very, but if I may be so bold as to explain uh, the, the reason to which, oh, your boots, yum, lick. Well, to be fair, though, he kind of wears the boots, so he, he's he like. Does, he wears a boot. Yes, yeah. he does. He doesn't really like he he just knows how to assuage people and and get his way through just kind of slowly talking around things. Oh, it's around here that we find out that uh, Verinia is pregnant. (laughs) Right. I love how Spartacus says, how do you know? And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, shit, Spartacus might genuinely not know how babies are made. Probably does not. And (laughs) it's like, are we going to have a whole talk about that? And she's just like, I know, I just, I just know. They, they literally could not have had a talk about that. It was still 1960, and you couldn't have said anything more than you say here. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and we've got like more traveling montage. What else can I say about them? They're gorgeous. There's so many people. It's just incredible. Just incredible vistas, uh, beautifully lit. Uh, I, I, I believe uh, Kubrick went to Spain where they it, it's just they they did a cost analysis and Spain was the country that, that they could go to that they would be able to just hire the most people for the least amount of money. <laughs> it's like, OK, that's where we're hauling production to get all of these huge sweeping shots with as many people as we can fit in a frame. 
And we're, they we're back. do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. Uh, so we're back to the Senate where uh, they're talking about how Rome's kind of in a in a bad state right now. They are they've got two wars on the go right now in different parts of the country and they're not really winning them. And then they've got this a few other things are happening. And then they've also got the slave rebellion. So uh, Gracchus is Gracchus wants to give Caesar all the power of legions since Crassus is quote unquote gone and Garble there are. Glabrus. Glabrus is gone. Yeah, Glabrus uh, is canceled. <laughs> he is canceled. We do not see him again. I actually kind of hoped that he would uh, come all around and join the slaves, but doesn't no, happen, and they, they it's probably better happen. that way. <laughs> well, yeah, I he's one of the original uh, instigators of the rebellion by being a dick. Yeah, he he started this thing. Well, yeah, yeah, he totally did. He like Rome fucked around and found out. Yes, this this is the fuck around and find out movie. Yeah. So they confirm Caesar as the guy in charge of the army and decide to go send two legions, whereas before it was just six cohorts. So two legions to kill Spartacus and his team in Metapontum. Metapontum. So like I I guess they're close to where like they're they're kind of near to where they're they're uh seaport objective is right uh i think so yeah this is like one of the main cities on the way okay uh, we find out again off screen that they killed nineteen thousand roman soldiers in metapontum <laughs> eat shit yeah <laughs> just like having friggin parades for spartacus in the city and uh, we've got crassus and caesar plotting and <laughs> i just wrote down here i think they're fucking too they might be. They might be. I mean, that uh, that was pretty culturally okay then. It, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily something that you were uh, uh, publicly all about, but it, it was also a thing that you could just, it, it didn't really need to be uh, a political issue with anyone. Eh, just like snails. Yeah, exactly. Crassus is like, uh, well, my true love is still Mother Rome. What would you do if you had to choose between... Uh, Gracchus and Rome and Caesar's like well I don't have to make that choice and Crassus is like you will soon in fact in 10 seconds you will it does feel like a a very Palpatine to Anakin sequence yeah I think I got the wrong person pegged as Palpatine here when I kept calling Gracchus fat Palpatine Uh, I I misunderstood uh, the relations of the senators uh, to each other at first and who was going for what well, and I think also Gracchus is maybe a more famous name than Crassus, because I think very shortly after this in actual history, Crassus got just fucking mega killed. <laughs> Someone <laughs> came down on him. Oh, shit. I, I I hadn't heard of the only one I had heard of was Caesar. So, oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. So right around here, uh, Gracchus shows up and is talking to Caesar and he's like, uh, yeah, well, you know what? I figure out the way to solve the problem is to just let the slaves leave. I have actually hired the pirates to take them safely to wherever they want to go. So they are out of our hair. You would consort with criminals. I'm a senator. <laughs> Most of us are criminals. Yeah. Come on. We're, we're all criminals here. And I think it's, it's not really clear, but I think that this is kind of the scene where Caesar's like, Oh shit. Gracchus is right. Uh, or, or um, Crassus is right. 
because Crassus like believes in Rome and like the the propriety and the tradition and all that. And Gracchus is like, yeah, deal with yeah. criminals. If the criminal has what you want, who cares? Yeah. He, he kind of understands a uh, sort of proper uh, distribution of power. He, he knows better than to like try to use severe oppression because that's going to make people react to the oppression. Yes. I just think it's funny that at no point does anybody in the Senate who did all the slavery, none of them, not a single one goes, are we the baddies? Yeah, n- none of them get it. Although I feel like to some extent, Batiatis sort of does. He sort of does have a whole arc where by the end he feels pretty bad mm-hmm. for the things that happen. Oh, okay, so here, uh, Crassus, he was known as the richest man in Rome during oh. his his time. So later on, he received Syria. It was like given, given to, to him. him. Wow. Uh, and he, yeah, so he was he was ruling over Syria for a little while, uh, and then. Uh, the Turks caught him, and they poured molten gold into his mouth. Oh, like that Game of Thrones guy! <laughs> but yeah. in real, Ooh, yeah, he's the one. That's ah, he deserves uh, it. Yeah, uh, and and apparently, uh, then they used his severed head as a prop in a play. It <laughs> 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 was pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Well, you know, that's nobody's business but the Turks. Yeah, um, great song. <laughs> totally. Oh yeah. So so Brudisium. I finally wrote down the name of the place they're trying to get to. Uh, they're making Brodesium. a Brudisium. Brudisium. Oh Brudisium. It's just a prank, Brudisium. <laughs> yo, Brosif. Yo, Brudisium. Yeah. You remember when that was like a weird trend in the social history? I don't get it. Oh, Brosif. Bro. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago, even. The Brovolution. Yeah, this was like maybe five or six years ago that there was like a rising tide of that. And it just, I don't know, it disappeared. Yeah. People got yeah. over it. I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're making their camp uh, 20 miles out from uh, Brindisium on the beach. Uh, party time. And here I've written down like, uh, isn't this how Glabrus uh, got his ass beat? Yeah. But uh, that doesn't happen this time. No, I, I think they have just too much of a number now. Like, they, they can't be snuck up on. They're way bigger than the cohort that got sent after. Well, them. yeah, yeah, exactly. You need to send two, well, it ends up being like four legions yeah. uh, that finally that finally does it. Cause, well, because uh, they, they feel they're marching on Rome, so they're coming to crush them. Yeah, so here's where we find out uh, Pirate Man comes back with uh, bad news. He couldn't get any ships. Yeah, he uh, he couldn't get ships. Crassus paid the pirates to bail on the plan, basically. Yeah, he's the richest guy in Rome. He has all the money. So they're like, well, uh, he, he can just outbuy you. I, I'm sorry, you do not have the buying power of Crassus. And at this point, I got to assume that Caesar, after hearing that Gracchus was going to buy the pirates to get them to get the slaves away. I think Caesar ratted to Crassus. Probably. Uh, he, but, like, he clearly has some sort of uh, kinship with him. He was, like, uh, Crassus was his patron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we also find out not only are there no ships waiting for them in Brodesium. Oh, shoot, I've done it. Brundisium. <laughs> <laughs> 
but also General Pompey and General L something are coming after Spartacus in like a pincher attack. They're mm-hmm. at like the heel of the the boot of Italy. And the other guy is coming at them from sea, and Pompey is coming from, like, the toe of the boot. So Spartacus is like, um, we are going to get trapped on both sides unless we attack Rome. It's Yeah, they're forcing them to march on Rome. There, There's really no other option open to them at this point. Because yes. they can't yeah. go to the sea now, and they can't go back, and they've got these people coming at them. It's like, well... Maybe we take on Rome. We just fight our way all the way there. Just keep on freeing slaves to fight with us. Snowball effect it. Yeah. But also with the knowledge, of course, that they are playing into Crassus's plan. So it's like, well, we'll do it, but we'll do it carefully. But, dude, what if we freed Rome? Yeah. I mean, the the, the stakes are high. uh, And it's uh, like the, the jackpot could be huge. And for them it's it's what he said before what they're putting into it isn't that valuable to them they they only have their lives to lose yeah which they don't even really yeah you know it's, it's their not, pain <laughs> yeah we're just losing slavery either way like it, their their ending is a weird sort of symbolic victory in as much as it is kind of brutal authoritarian uh destruction yeah so I really love this bit. This is one of my favorite parts where Spartacus is having like this huge assembly where he's like inspiring them. It's like, we have no choice, but we, but to attack Rome, but you know what? We could actually do it, but it's intercut with the uh, Crassus giving speeches to, to his uh, Roman soldiers. And he might as well just be uh, quoting Hitler here. Mm-hmm. In fact, one, oh, one thing I wanted to point out, cause this is like a weird, this makes me feel like it's kind of like a weird, and not anachronistic, but using accurate historical stuff to invoke imagery of something that stole from. So I might as well just, okay, um, I haven't figured out how to put it into words. But you know how the Roman armies will carry like those big sticks with like the banners and the eagles on top that the Nazis mm-hmm. uh, stole their idea? Oh, yeah. So like. Yeah, the Romans did it first, but the way they're doing it here absolutely reminds me of how the Nazis did it. Oh, yeah, I, and I don't doubt that that was uh, uh, intentional, because, like, Kubrick did briefly work in, I, I think, wartime propaganda, like, before he, he did films. Like, I think, think he did some documentaries for the War Department. Oh. So, I mean, it, it's it's certainly something that he was aware of. Yeah. Well, and, like, Trumbo, obviously, was a very anti-Nazi. And it's a lot more fresh in everybody's mind at this point. Yeah, very fresh. Yeah, whereas now it's like, oh, let's give the Nazis another chance. <laughs> They're people too. Don't yeah. punch Nazis. Yeah. Uh, come on, uh, eagle's an American icon. You know, it can be. You know, you can have a cool, menacing eagle on a above a swastika. That's really American, right? Swastika's a religious symbol, guys. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's for it means life. It's a Buddhist like, no, thing. No. Yeah, 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 but that's yeah, not no, the way it, you guys are using it. <laughs> it was a Buddhist thing. Hitler well, like, ruined the It still is. It still is there. It's just you can't really use it here in the same sort of way. Yeah, but yeah, like their uh, their two assemblies are going back and forth, and like the contrast between them, Spartacus is all like inspiring. It feels like a friend talking to like their big group of friends, 
versus Crassus, like, do as I say. I am the Fuhrer. I am creating the new world order. Well, like, it, it's the classical Hollywood uh, contrast. It's just like in Rocky uh, Four, where you have uh, Rocky training just uh, out in fields with, like, old farm implements where uh, 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 his opponent is training in, like, a super gym and looks like a cyborg. <laughs> and, and Crassus particularly... Uh, I've never seen Rocky Four. I've only ever seen, I think, the first one and one of the newer ones. Oh, uh, the first one's easily the best. The first one was really, really good. The second one's pretty good. Like the the interesting thing about Rocky is that, like, the first one, you have the really serious New Hollywood downer ending where he loses. The second but he one went is like the distance. He went the distance. The second one is. Well, maybe we could do a little more wish fulfillment. He'll go the distance and win. I think the losing ending would... I don't think the first one would have worked as good if he won. Oh, I completely agree. But that's sort of what they do with the second one. It's like, okay, we're we're slowly moving it out of reality. Uh, third one, he fights Mr. T. Because Mr. <laughs> T wants his title. Fourth one, he fights a Russian cyborg in Russia and ends the Cold War. And uh, yeah, everybody right. stands up and applauds. Communism. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like it, it very quickly goes off the rails in the fourth one. Also, Polly has a robot. <laughs> so, oh yeah! Happy birthday, Polly! <laughs> My favorite robot in movie history. Mm. Yeah. So Crassus doesn't just want to kill Spartacus; he wants to kill the legend of Spartacus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wants to make sure this he, he wants to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again. He wants yeah, this to is, end work from home. It, it, this is interesting because he. He wants to do this, but he doesn't realize that there's no feasible way for him to do this. That, like, if he makes a martyr of this guy, he's making a martyr of this guy. <laughs> yeah. And and further to that, it's interesting because this is one of the pre-Christian ones and it doesn't deal with any of that. But we, we are seeing it's like a dry run for Christianity, which is going to topple a lot of this stuff uh, when when uh, that comes along. Mm-hmm. So. Now Crassus is having a meeting with Batiatus. Uh, he's back. And, and this is the part where uh, this is like their first time meeting since uh, the beginning. And Batiatus <laughs> is like, well, you could say that I, um, I made Spartacus what he is today, uh, sir, if, if I may. Mm-hmm. And Crassus is like, uh, wow, good job. It's a hell of a thing to claim, my dude. I would have uh, I would have left that out if I were you. He's like, but, no, uh, I, I, I think it's pretty cool. It's it's cooler than you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, so so you're the one who trained him up. So what I need you to do is tell me what Spartacus looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, Spartacus. I remember him really well. <laughs> and he's like, well, but have you've met him yourself, sir. He's yeah, like, don't you, you remember about like, no, he, he fought the he fought the black person. And the look on uh, Crassus's face is like, oh, fuck, I do remember this. And I do not remember what that man looked like at all. Like, it's <laughs> just such such a good facial expression there. Yeah, it, it's excellent. It's like, just, it's like, oh, son of a bitch. It's like, yeah, I know. I don't I do remember and I don't remember. And I hate you for this. <laughs> it's like that was Spartacus. Fuck. 
It's like uh, maybe I'll go see find uh, see if I can find Glabrus and maybe he'll remember what Spartacus looks like. He he simply does not have the presence of mind to be like, wait a sec, did I cause this? <laughs> nope, he's fucked. <laughs> Is this all uh, my fault? Whereas Patiatus, uh, of course, he does you know, have the presence he, of mind. He's like, oh man, I fucking cost this. What this sucks. Well, he also blames Crassus. He's like, he knows. At yeah. one point, he's like saying like. Man, none of this would have happened if Crassus just didn't show up unannounced at my doorstep that day. Yeah. Everything would have been fine. Because also if all he had, his fault and also a little bit mine. If, if he had shown up with uh, enough notice, he probably could have put his really good fighters away for a day or two to just like keep them from being killed off in a pointless fashion. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's because they picked all the good ones, of course. Yeah. He, oh, man, this is my cash cow. Yeah, and, and he's a pretty savvy business person, so he probably would have had a contingency in mind if they hadn't showed up completely unannounced. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he's like, okay, well, I will uh, help you find Spartacus, who I definitely remember what he looks like, too, if you will... Let me oversee the selling of all the slaves that you capture from the slave rebellion, because this is a super lucrative position, and I think it'd be great. Yeah, I'll let you sell all the slaves who survive this fight. All the ones who survive, you can sell them. They're, cool. I'll, I, yeah, they'll, they'll all belong to you, sure. <laughs> yeah, of course, clearly having no intention of letting them survive, and... Everybody no. thinks that – and they both think they're kind of pulling, pulling the wool over each other. And yeah. I would assume that Batiatus has a little bit more of an idea of what he's facing up against. Well, or yeah, so <laughs> – but he's also basically Crassus's prisoner now because Crassus is like, yeah, you're going to come with me to the front line and you're going to point at Spartacus when you see him. Oh, right. The, the, the front line. I don't fight so good myself, you see. I don't care. He's like, yeah, well, you're coming with me and we'll we'll just have guards. Uh, he, he's never really going to see any actual fighting, though. No, no. And also uh, before the the night before the fight, uh, Spartacus and Verinia, they have the take care of my son talk. No, I won't take care of your son because you'll come back. I'm probably not coming back. <laughs> like, yeah, listen, I, <laughs> I, I'm aware of the odds here and you should be aware of them, too. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they have that whole talk because um, I guess the baby is almost born at this point. Like critically almost born. Like I, uh, I, going to I, be born tomorrow. Yeah, because I, I believe it is born in between scenes somewhere around here. Like next time we see her, she has the baby with her. Yes. Uh, and the next time we see her is after this incredible fight. Oh, my God, this sequence. For me, number oh, one, man. It, it's hard to say which of which of the two is my favorite, but uh, uh, Douglas lopping someone's arm off bloodily is up there and just the flaming logs rolling and just people running away from those flaming logs down a hill for real. Yeah, that's great. But what I love is like the whole thing about the legions just doing their formation, never like completely uniform and it just there just keeps being more of them and more of them and more come and more come yeah just this giant 
moving mass of people and like it's it's them moving across this huge field and at the top you also have thousands of slaves on the other side yeah an unbelievable scope of people it is it might be the biggest battle i've seen in cinema it's it's probably up there like it's it's maybe one of the biggest ever shot yeah but it's just so much at the beginning of just like them like doing their formations and it's like it's like synchronized swimming but like on a massive scale it must have been so hard to get the extras to actually like do this well oh yeah this must have been just a a huge huge undertaking and and it's just incredible to behold like it's still unbelievably impressive like cgi can't really uh do anything that feels this big in scope like you can put that many people digitally reproduced in in like the thousands, but it doesn't the the scope of it doesn't have this weight. Yeah, yeah, and like it's at this point where everybody's kind of looking. And it's like, oh fuck, we aren't winning this, are we? <laughs> yeah. Well, gotta try. It's like, well, uh, the, we we came here to die or get get freedom. It might be die. Let's roll yep. some logs. Let's roll some burning logs down a hill. <laughs> It's, it is great when they actually roll them and you see the Legion break. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Legion also didn't fully know what they were getting into, which no, is sort of it, a nice twist on it. Yeah, I, I love seeing that front line break and like some of them turn around and run, but it's too late. And it's just the logs just crush them and like people are trying to jump over the logs or jump away from the logs. Well, yeah, it's this incredibly long shot, and you do see people just get run over by giant flaming logs. It's amazing. Yeah, like trying to actually go over what happens in this fight is impossible. Yeah, it's it's uh, a much better version of the big climactic fight in the third Lord of the Rings movie. Oh, much better than that. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels like that kind of scope where just everything has come together in this giant melee and you have all these little bits of battle that are taking place. Uh, but, you know, this one, it's all real and it's all genuinely huge in scope. And there's just so many, this literal sea of people. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love, like, as it goes on, you see, like, people are starting to tire, but they're still fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Spartacus... Uh, lops a dude's arm right off rules it's a very quick shot but it's bloody you see the arm just drop right off you see the spray awesome and then we get the literal sea of corpses yeah uh so many dead just a valley full of corpses it's like that opening scene in the good the bad the ugly but like times a thousand yeah so many dead people uh they uh just kind of they they put it down. They they did end the rebellion. Yep. Um, yeah. We we don't even really hear about how many casualties were on the Roman side because they won. <laughs> that's that's the important bit. Who cares how many of their guys they lost? They won. Yeah. Only a few of the uh, slaves actually survived, and they're prisoners right now. So so here's the big scene uh, <laughs> and. I had never seen this movie, so my interpretation of this scene was, based on what I had heard, was incorrect. Mm. Uh, so, so he says to them, he's like, all right, slaves you were born and slaves you will remain. Normally the, pr- the punishment for this shit is crucifixion, but 
just hand me over Spartacus and we will, you know, just let you go back to your happy, healthy slave life. Yeah. Tell tell us which one Spartacus is. Just hand him over. We'll crucify him. The rest of you can just go back to being slaves. No harm, no foul. Slavery is just fine for you guys. Yeah. And to Spartacus's credit, he is about to come forward. And then somebody else is just like, no, I'm it's, Spartacus. It's Antoninus who, who yeah. is the first. Yeah. I'm and Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. And like every single one of them is like, yeah, I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. And it crosses his face. He's just like, well, that didn't work. And my understanding of the scene was like, this is a great, powerful scene because like so many people are claiming to be Spartacus that they can't possibly kill them all. <laughs> no, uh, no, 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 he, no. he kills them all. Yeah, like, fine, we'll put all of them to death. It, it It is mainly just he doesn't get the satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we'll crucify all of them uh, on the road from here to Rome. And they do just, and they, like, literally, it covers all of the distance to the entrance to Rome. Yeah, the, these are like the new streetlights. Yeah, hundreds of people. Uh, just in rows on crucifix as dying of exposure. Uh, real fun to drive on the Roman roads for a little while there. Good times. Oh, yeah. Especially once they start dying and they start to smell. I mean, they probably start dying and smelling day one. And then it's just the amount of them dying and smelling all the way along Ooh, the road. Yeah. You know? And the and birds. Yeah. And here's Batiatus. Like, well, you said you'd let me ha auction off all the survivors. He's like, yeah. I said all the survivors. You're a businessman. How could you not know that I was going to do exactly this thing? There's no survivors. Oh, well, I guess that is technically um, as you were, as my lord, you see this way, this technically you are correct. And, yes, um, Concordantly, vis-a-vis. I don't vis -a -vis. like you, but I'm going to just take the L. So he, he leaves town with Varinia. Uh, not yet. Crassus finds Verinia first. Oh, he finds her first and he tries to get her to romance him. Yes. Uh, he, fi he finds her. Uh, he also finds Antoninus, who is like right next to Spartacus. He's like, Antoninus? I remember not you. Not you, too. I, I Save that just one. Missing. And Spartacus seems like kind of a gnarly dude and maybe he... It almost feels to me like he's jealous of Spartacus as like maybe the guy who took him away from him. It's like, oh, save maybe. these two for last. I kind of get the feeling like he looks at Spartacus. He's like, this guy looks familiar. Why? Yeah. Yeah. It, it does yeah. kind of feel like maybe he could potentially recognize him. But I think it may honestly be more that he's with my guy that I wanted and he got him instead of me. Mm -hmm. This guy gets it last. And I'll watch him and I have to make him squirm all the way to the end. Yeah, yeah. So they're crucifying everyone else, but they're keeping Antoninus and Spartacus alive for now. Mm. And, oh, yes. And uh, after sending Batiatus on his way, he's like, just uh, just whip this guy until he leaves the camp. I, I don't like him at all. <laughs> and, yeah, so they whip him. So he's, like, talking to... Uh, Gracchus later in the bathhouse he's like oh well despite all this i feel like i've found something i didn't have before oh, what's that dignity 
Ooh, dignity. That's going to get you killed here in Rome. You want to okay. you want to get rid of that. Dignity is the kind of thing that uh, got all those slaves killed the other day. And that's yeah. them declaring their dignity. That didn't work for them. And uh, so uh, Gracchus is like, yeah, well, if you want to stick it to Crassus here, uh, why don't you kidnap Viridia from him? Since he's like weirdly in love with her for some reason. Again. Yeah. It's like, uh, do you understand what you're asking me to do? Yeah, I'll give you like half a million, one million. Will that make you brave? Uh, yeah, um, I don't know about brave, but actually, you know, maybe at this point it is bravery. Yeah, to some extent. I, like, and he, also he, a million bucks. He And he has sort of a golden parachute. He He is part of the Senate. Like, he is wealthy. He's well known. He can't really go down because he hasn't been canceled. Yeah. But then Caesar shows up and he's like, all right, Gracchus, you're coming with me. But um, Crassus says he gotta. And I love this line. Uh, Gracchus is like, oh, well, let's go hear about Rome from Crassus again. Oh, boy. Uh, I bet he's going to talk about like half an hour about how the true way to love Rome is to. He gets a little graphic. Uh, Crassus is making a secret police. Cool. That's great. We really want one of those. He seems like just the right kind of dude to be in charge of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're purging all the senators who were on the side of the mob, which I know is meant to be like, like a criminal mob, but I kind of, I keep hearing it as like the woke mob because Gracchus was just going to let the slaves walk away because it's easier, but that's too woke for Crassus. Well, it is essentially that, and I, I would say that the the parallel that is intentionally being drawn there is towards McCarthyism, and like we're we're gonna like really draw a line between anyone who's shown any sort of sympathies with quote unquote communist or socialist leaning ideals. Oh yeah, no, that would be a parallel to McCarthyism because that's real fresh in it. Well, with the guy, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, written by someone just coming off the blacklist who this was done to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's like, but we're not going to kill you. What we're going to do is we're going to use you as a figurehead to, you know, just smooth things over. We're going to keep you in our back pocket. Uh, you belong to me now, Gracchus, is what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, you're going to live in this shitty town. And every now and again, I'm going to bring you in to show that, you know, there's no hard feelings, even though there absolutely are. And Gracchus is like, uh, I, well, I'm fucked. That's the end of me. Yeah. So we get into uh, Crassus's bedroom where uh, Varinia is decked out like a like Princess Leia, and he keeps giving her all these jewels and stuff. And she's like, "Oh, what is it?" She she says to him, <laughs> "This bit is like, oh my god, you dick." She says to him, "Why am I here?" And he's like, "That's such a woman question. Why am I here? <laughs> I don't know why you're here." He knows why she's here, because he wants her. Oh, yeah, but he doesn't say that. He's like, women, always wanting to know why they're being taken against their will to places. Come on now. And, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, the baby has been born and is under the care of Crassus's, uh, like, wet nurse that he hired or whatever. Well, yeah, when when they found her, she, on the battlefield among the Sea of Dead, she had the baby. Yeah. She's like, okay, well, I guess you can just take me to bed. And Crassus is like, I don't want to take you. I want 
you to give yourself to me. It's like not going to happen, buddy. I mean, I'm going to take keep you against your will and like mind fuck you until you do. But I want you to make it seem like it's willing. And she's like, you threatened my kids, though. He's like, not technically. Couldn't you give me a little bit of a girlfriend experience situation, you know? I just said said it'd be a shame if something happened to your baby. Not that I was going to do anything to them. That's not a threat. Come on. And, uh, oh, this is a great line. Uh, He says, I can't remember what she says to him. Uh, but he says to her, like, you tread the ridge between truth and insult with the skill of a mountain goat. So tell me about Spartacus. Why did you love him? And I'm just like, oh, my God, this guy's an incel, too, on top of everything else. Kind of, yeah. Uh, he, he's very jealous. He's very possessive. Uh, and it's a stupid question. Like, why did you love Spartacus? I'm like, I don't know. He's just like this uh, chiseled. Perfect chiseled from stone hero who led a rebellion that uh, almost toppled Rome, uh, despite coming from absolutely nothing. You know, yeah. I mean, I, he's he's just the sexiest man, or so. It's it's that's all. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's all like like man. Girls only want jerks like Spartacus. They don't like nice guys like me, Crassus. Yeah, me, the richest man in the world. <laughs> And she says to him, "Is like you're scared of him," and he's like, "No, huh? My dad could beat him up, you know. <laughs> My dad could beat up his dad." Yeah. So, Antoninus and Spartacus, as the last surviving members of the slave rebellion, are waiting outside for their turn to get killed. And Antoninus is all like, "Could we have won? Was there a chance of us winning?" And Spartacus is basically like, "I don't." think so but that's not the point uh the point is we made rome scared when one man says no i won't all of rome recoils in fear and i made ten thousand people say no i won't and it damn near destroyed their whole society so you know we didn't win but we kind of won yeah we, we came and shook things by their foundation so we we did what we needed to do even if we weren't able to take it all the way. It's like when we did Lucia, the first two parts where the revolution made important gains and was historical, but didn't quite achieve its goals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, them being the last two, symbolically, they want them to fight. Yep. Yep. For their amusement. (laughs) And Caesar's like, hey, no, you... You promised the whole town that, like, these guys were going to fight in the square, and it was going to be, like, a huge event. People bought tickets, and Crass is like, no, fuck the town. Uh, This is about me and my own personal grudges now. Yeah, I want to see it now, right now. (laughs) And he, like, looks at Spartacus. He's like, wait, are you actually Spartacus? And Sparty, Sparty doesn't say anything. He's like, oh, my God, you piece of shit. Even now, you won't give me the satisfaction of knowing that you're Spartacus. Fuck. Okay, yeah, these guys just kill, die, murder, death. Make him fight now. Die, die, die. My fragile male ego is already hurt. It's just like just withering away. Uh, and Spartacus is like, oh, I'll make it quick. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, obviously Antoninus who came here with the singing and uh, juggling skills isn't going to win against Spartacus, the leader of the slave rebellion. Yeah. The, the, 
the head gladiator. Yeah. The gladiatist. Gladiator, gladiator in chief. Yes. Uh, he's like, yeah, so you don't want to die on a cross, so I'll just kill you real quick on the first thing. Also, we won't give them a show, and it'll piss them off. Uh, let's do it this way. And Antoninus is like, no, man, I can't let you get crucified. And Spartacus is like, yeah, it's not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It's like, yeah, I've lived a life. You, you're you like, remember when you came here in the boy toy outfit? You, you're not going to want to be on a cross. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah, he says to him, do you have any idea how long it takes to die on a cross? My understanding is it's about three days or so, but, uh, yeah. you know, Can't I don't be. think there's any historic precedent set for that just yet. Well, I mean, no, there absolutely is, but, you know, not plenty. About. yeah, there's tons. Uh, yeah, so they fight, but uh, Antoninus does try to fight. And of course, he sucks. Yeah, it doesn't take long. Not They're not able. Yeah, it, it isn't much of a show. Yeah, so he kills him. He makes sure he gets like a swift and merciful death. Then he dies in his arms. Yeah, it's very sweet. And Crassus is like, okay, well, you win. By the way, I have Varenia and the kid. And Spartacus is like, wait, they're alive? And Crassus is like, ah, you are Spartacus. Ha ha, I win, I win. Ha ha ha. Uh, but he doesn't win because Batiatus actually somehow got Verinia and the baby free from Crassus's house. Yeah, he stole them. He's heading out of town. Yeah, he's heading out of town. They get stopped by the guards, but Gracchus actually, the last thing he does before he exits the movie is signs all the paperwork to get uh, Verinia and the baby freed and gives uh, Batiatus two million bucks. Yeah, from from earlier when he said he was going to buy her just to screw Crassus. And he stuck with it, especially after Crassus screwed him. Yep. He's like, oh, man, I can't wait to pull this trick on him now. And then he so he does a thing here. He has the letter opener like he pulls it out of its sheath. So it's like you can see the blade and then he disappears uh, behind a curtain, and I think maybe he kills himself in this scene so that he can't be a political puppet for Crassus anymore. Uh, possibly. We don't see it, but that's what I took away from this. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they they exit the town. Uh, they get stopped by the guards, and he's like, "Oh yes, well, my paperwork's all in order here. You see, as it were, you see, we're going to this place where." And Verenia stops because the very first person to be crucified, just as Crassus promised, is Spartacus. Well, the last. Or, the very yeah, last. The, last. To be crucified. the first one in line. Yeah, first the closest one. one to the gates. Yeah. Because they, they, they fill all of the space in between. Yeah, so Verenia gets to show Spartacus uh, his son, and then he says, Please die, my love, which. What a thing to have to say to your lover. It's brutal, but yeah, uh, dying on the cross is not great. Yeah. And yeah. and it's just, it's also not a great situation. He's like, hey, check it out. This is your baby while you're dying on the cross there. But hey, at least you know your baby survived and is going to be free. Yeah. Uh, and and Batiatus comes and like bundles her away because like people are starting to notice that this lady is talking to a slave on a cross and like that is going to be a problem. Yep. And then they journey off into the sunset down the cross lined roads of uh, ancient Rome. 
Just so many crosses. Yeah. So many crosses. It's like, you know, they're they're more frequent than street lamps would be. Yeah, there's a lot of them. They're they're only like <laughs> like five or six feet apart. There's yeah, like like the arms, the crosses are basically touching almost. Mm-hmm. I'm Shanicus. That's what it could have been. <laughs> I'm Shanicus. <laughs> oh, I'm Shanicus. We could both be Shanicus. Uh, but yeah, great movie. So like, oh you're, man, you're, I love this shit. Yeah, your first time seeing this sort of epic. Like you've seen some of the other big epics, right? I saw Ben Hur in school. Right. I found it too long. I, I remind. Tedious. I remember finding it boring. Yeah, I think Ben Hur. There, there's things I like about it, but it's just there's so much of it, and so much of it I just don't need. <laughs> uh, like this movie is long as fuck, but every scene just pulls you in. It's really great. All of the performances are great. They're all pretty big, but they're like that classical Hollywood kind of style. But like on the verge to new Hollywood where things are grittier, they're a bit darker and they are touching on some political issues that maybe could have gotten them thrown out of Hollywood 10 years earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely an anti-fascism movie and all cops are bastards movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Fuck. (laughs) This movie rules. Yeah, it's it's such a blast. uh, And yeah, you can see how it made Kubrick someone who could just do whatever he wanted to do that, you know, he came in in a pinch after the other guy got fired and made it the most successful movie of the year by like a huge margin. I was like, sure. I mean, this guy writes his own check now. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Strange love or no Lolita next. It's like, well, let's make something unfilmable. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, great movie. Uh, Kirk Douglas is totally amazing, as is Peter Ustinov, Lawton, uh, all of them, like it just stacked. Is is Ustinov your your standout for it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, uh, he's, he's so good. He's so like he's like he's the bastard in the beginning, but he's like so benign about it. Uh, I can't hate this guy. He yeah, he's he's kind of lovable and he does see the light like he he does have a real He's the only person who learns something from this all. Mm-hmm. It feels like maybe Gracchus. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, uh, I assume depending that, on whether or not he died at the end. Right. I I assume that Glabrus uh, learned something, but we he he's gonna have to go learn in another country. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Glabrus learned anything. He seems like the type who'd be like, I can't believe they do this to me. This is so unfair. How could this happen to me? I did nothing wrong. Yeah, uh, please donate to my legal fund. Uh, oh, God. Uh, stop the steal. Uh, <laughs> so any last thoughts on Spartacus before we move on to our third and final section? Uh, no, I, I think we've covered... I mean, I could talk about this movie probably forever, but... There's so much. Like, it's it's yeah. dense. There's, there's uh, so many things that happen, so many characters. And pretty much every scene has something great in it. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's no bad scenes i i never i even didn't fast forward through all the like musical no stuff i just i sat through it i'm like this is cool it's I'm quite nice with this it's this a good score relaxing mm-hmm. all right well uh on to part three and we're back for our third and final section where we're talking about other movies watched in the past week and deciding what we're going to watch next week 
Uh, so got a uh, nine movies in the list this week. Uh, first up, Birds Two, Land's End. <laughs> you, you've never seen The Birds, right? I have not. This is a direct-to-HBO early '90s sequel to Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Did uh, Did Alfred Hitchcock have a hand in this? Uh, this one is directed by one Alan Smithy. Oh no! <laughs> uh, I I think it's actually Rick Rosenthal who like it's credited. You know, Alan Smithy is the uh, name when someone takes their name off it. Uh, Rick Rosenthal who directed Halloween Two, I believe. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's pretty badly edited. That's probably its chief issue. It's very shabby editing, kind of jerky and weird. Uh, the protagonist is just deeply unlikable, too. It's a yuppie who's moved out to, for some reason, the exact same house from the original movie. Okay. Except no one has any recollection of the other thing happening, or I guess they maybe briefly do. It's it's more of a remake, but in the 90s with more 90s-ish effects, so there's some real bad CGI. Oh, no. Uh, my favorite part, someone shoots a flare gun and... Uh, like as an emergency, but it hits a seagull and then the seagull uh, just sets off a, a chain of explosions that destroys <laughs> an entire pier. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, next up is Child's Play 2. Uh, this one's really interesting. It's been a while since I had rewatched the sequels. I, like, I, I watched the first one a lot, but not the sequels very often. Hmm. So it's kind of an ACAB movie at the start. Uh, because Andy is now in foster care because his mom backed up his story and the police who were directly involved and also had to fight Chucky did not back up the story. So she gets put in psychiatric care and he gets put in foster care. I see. Meanwhile, Chucky has been retrieved by the toy company and repaired like in black test car to like, see, to make sure that they, uh, are clear of any wrongdoing. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So they completely rebuild him. Like, the opening is sort of an ASMR, a retro-blasting sort of thing, you know, the rebuild video. Okay. <laughs> uh, of Chucky being put back together. Uh, and then, you know, he shows back up, he shows up at the foster home, and he gaslights him some more. He does his Michigan J-Frog routine. You know, he's, you know, he's still not a very formidable villain obviously he's very impulsive he's he's a serial killer and he's just super impulsive and he's dumb so he screws up a lot (laughs) well now was this the one that they made a big deal of on the uh the video nasties or was it the next one i'm not sure (laughs) which says something about how minor it is i think it's the (laughs) third one but i could be it could have been something in this one that i forgot about uh, this one has an amazing final showdown in the toy factory. Ooh. It's just like uh, because he's indestructible and they they just like put other bits on him. And like he he's like going through the like the factory line with all of the other Chuckies, all, all the other good guy dolls. Oh, interesting. Cool. Yeah. yeah, right on. Uh, next up is the man with the golden gun. This is the Christopher Lee one, isn't it? Christopher Lee is the main villain as the man with the golden gun, uh, Scaramanga. Uh, he, I, I, all I remember is that he has a gun that like he disguises as a lighter. It, he disguises it a bunch of things like it, it, it uh, disassembles into like cufflinks and a lighter and a cigarette package and stuff. 
Right, right. And it, and it only holds one gun, but he only needs one shot because he's so good. Right, uh, which translates into the video game of if you get shot by the golden gun, you die instantly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, his sidekick is Hervé Villachez, from, uh, who's best known for Fantasy Island as Tattoo. Oh, oh yeah, right, right. He's the henchman in this. Uh, he drives around a junk that's actually a super yacht, but is like disguised as like a, a small <laughs> Chinese junk. I remember so little of this movie. Holy shit. He's got a private island with like a sun laser. Like it, it focuses the sun and he can laser shit with it in Thailand. All right. Like the whole plot of it's so bizarre because Bond has become too famous and everybody knows who he is. So he can't go on missions because he'll be compromised. So he has to go on vacation and deal with the Scaramanga thing because he's suddenly too high profile. Scaramanga is just like, what if he shows up on any mission that we send you on? You've become too famous, Bond. Screw you. Go on vacation. <laughs> uh, this one's pretty widely viewed as the worst in the series up to that point. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, it's it's silly. It's very silly. If for some reason, this one has J.W. Pepper again. That's kind of the biggest problem. Mm. You know, the, the racist sheriff from Living right. Like Die. He just shows up vacationing in Thailand. I mean, presumably at the events like at the end of these events he is carted away by thai police i presume he just spends the rest of his life there because he never shows up in another bond movie <laughs> or maybe they kill him <laughs> maybe uh next up is lolita very shaggy very long <laughs> longer than i remembered uh it's got I, I i said last week that it was peter sellers as humbert he's actually the antagonist to humbert uh quilty and it's Quilty. technically only, yeah, Claire Quilty. It's technically only one role, but he's pretending to be different people every scene, which is why I was misremembering it as another one where he plays a bunch of different characters. Okay. So Humbert is James Mason, who's got this, this very dignified seeming exterior, but very good at playing a cad or a monster. And he's sort of playing both sides of it. it it's interesting because it's it, it plays it like a farce. The joke is very much on Humbert because he's totally self-obsessed and has no self-recognition. Mm -hmm. And obviously the movie's sympathies are lying with uh, Lolita Dolores and her mother, who's Shelley Winters, who's just obviously the best part of the movie, uh, who's just outstanding. Shelley uh, Winters, she was the the wife in The Shining, right? No, that's Shelley Duvall. That? Oh, shoot. Right. Uh, Shelley Winters is really great in this. Uh, I don't know what you'd know her from. She's in so much stuff. Uh, usually as a woman who's just having a really bad time. That's that's oh, kind of her, okay. her type of character. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but like, it, it's very interesting because the, the book is entirely in Humbert's head. So it's entirely covered by his perce perception of himself. So you kind of don't see quite as much of how much of a monster he is and how bad he is. Uh, you, you just know that he has these predilections, but you kind of are approaching them all through him, whereas uh, this one obviously just can't do that. So right. it, it is more of a farce on him. And of course, it's still under the Hayes Code, so they could not uh, mention sex or show anything. So uh, it's it was very limited in what they were able to do. I see. I see. Interesting. Uh, next up is New Nightmare. Uh, this is uh, the a meta Freddy movie, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. This is Wes Craven coming back to the series uh, after 
you know, this is the first one he's done since the original. And it's a meta movie. It's it's a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie is being made by Wes Craven in the movie. And Freddy is maybe crossing over into reality. Cool. Because, like, the idea is maybe he's this ancient dream demon and the increasing earthquakes in California in the 90s are caused by him not being in movies anymore. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> it's Talk quite a bit. movies, bitch. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, the, the idea is... Uh, it's it's very much like Scream. It's it's sort of a dry run for Scream, except instead of uh, being on the movie side and the trope side, it's like the production side of horror. So you see a lot of just how everybody is pretty friendly, that the backstage of a horror set is so the opposite of what happens in a horror movie. Everybody's friends, like Heather Langenkamp comes back, John Saxon comes back, Richard uh, Robert Englund, of course, is Freddy. But like, they're also all just hanging out in their buds because they've done all these movies together. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I kind of like that idea. It's good. It's it's definitely one of my favorites in the series. It's one of the most interesting. It's the one that like really tries to do something totally different. Cool. Uh, next is Creature from Black Lake, uh, which is a Bigfoot movie. Mm. Uh, this is a very beautifully shot one. It's shot by Dean Cundy, who uh, would shoot halloween the next year oh cool the original halloween uh so oh, there's cool yeah yeah so it's two university of chicago guys uh one of them is a vietnam veteran and they're in the anthropology department so like they want to go to the louisiana bayou in search of a cryptid because uh, there's a guy who was recently attacked uh, uh dude was out fishing and one guy got pulled out of the boat and disappeared Ooh. so uh they they go to you know investigate the town did you ever see uh legend of boggy creek uh, i think so that was the one that's like it's like a documentary kind of isn't it yeah yeah this movie very much feels like it's doing a ripoff of that like it's it's very close in tone and style. It like it isn't documentary style, but it's these two guys going to interview people, so it feels pretty similar. Oh, cool. There is one incredible flashback where someone's talking about their <laughs> encounter with the the creature, and it just it's swinging two dogs over its head and <laughs> throws them like frisbees. Oh my god! Okay. It's kind of hilarious. <laughs> Uh, next up is Halloween, but the 2018 one. Uh, I saw this. I think. Oh, no, no. Did I see this? This is I the one where Jamie so. Lee Curtis is old and she's got a trap house. Yes. This is the 2018 okay. one by David Gordon Green. Uh, I, I've always liked this one quite a bit. Uh, I liked it, too. And and especially after watching the Rob Zombie ones, just the contrast. Uh, it, it was wonderful to watch it. Uh, cause like the, the biggest thing is David Gordon Green, like, I don't know if you've seen his other films. I th it's probably his best known is, I think he did observe and report. I haven't seen that, but I heard it's, it's pretty good. See, to me, that one got lumped in with, uh, Paul Blart, Marblarp. Yeah. This was like the funny one with, uh, Seth Rogen instead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe he also did Pineapple Express. Like his early films, he's like an indie film guy. 
He did this movie, George Washington. It's just like weird people hanging out. That, that's kind of his style. So he comes to the slasher movie with so much real affection for all of the characters. Like the, the characters just feel like people who are real and like each other rather than, you know, in, in zombies where they feel fake and hateful. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, I like there are a couple of characters that I think are maybe not the best. They're Loomis surrogate, like the guy who's replaced Loomis is maybe a bit too much. There are a couple true crime podcaster characters who are a bit much. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I, I remember the Loomis guy turns out to be like insane like a worshiper. Sort yes. Of. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. I, I find the kills to be really impactful, even though they're not like super gory, because it's a movie that cares about its characters uh and so you know the the it it they feel brutal because it it actually feels like everything matters and people matter in this world <laughs> again very in contrast to rob zombies uh hateful violence where it's like well everybody is bad and who cares and this one canonically only considers the first movie to be canon right yes which is so smart it's like the sister bullshit doesn't never happened he is just a maniac pinball again and and i like it so much better that it's like yeah 40 years later he gets out again (laughs) yeah yeah oh i remember the scene in the asylum where he's like standing there in this weird um in a square yeah yeah yeah. that's a strange scene where like the true crime podcasters are yelling at him and holding Mm -hmm. out the mask uh I, I, I really like it because just all of the characters feel like real people and friends. Like there's a sympathy to for everyone, even Michael, which is the damnedest thing where like fucking Rob Zombie spends an entire half of the first movie watching us watch this child being institutionalized forever as a six year old. And we feel no sympathy for him because everyone's <laughs> so hateful. This one, oh, he kind of feels sympathetic because you just kind of realize in the back of your mind, like, yeah, this kid got put away at six years old. He got out one time. It was Halloween, which is all he knows is masks, ghoulish decorations and murder. Yeah. This is him getting out again for Halloween. All he knows is masks, decoration and murder. And he just goes for it again. It's great. I really like this one. <laughs> I, I remember liking it a lot, but I hadn't seen the first one at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that would make it very different, I guess. Mm-hmm. All right, next is the Lego Batman movie. Did you ever see I, this? I did see this. We saw, I, I saw it in theaters. I think we might have seen it. We yeah. might have seen it together. Very likely. It's so much fun. Very dense with jokes. So much oh, going yeah. on. I love that uh, every single Batman villain's in it. <laughs> yeah, Will Arnett is a great Batman. He's great. My, my standout would be Michael Sarah as the greatest Robin ever. Oh, that was him? That's him. And oh, he shit. is perfect. He's so good. My my I biggest problem with it, Robin that good. He's just adorable. Uh, he has there's that really great line is like, oh, my name is Richard Grayson, but my friends call me Dick. He's like, yeah, kids can be cruel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I my my only problem with it is there is not enough of the actual Batman villains. It just pulls in a bunch of other IP. Yeah. Um, kind of ahead I, of the trend for that, but I still hate it. <laughs> yeah. Sauron. I, I get it because it's Lego, but also like, yeah. Eh. 
yeah, I don't like I don't hate it because it's a Lego thing, but it, I'm just disappointed that there's not more with all of those fun Batman villains, especially because they got a lot of cool voice actors for all of them. They finally got Billy D. Williams to be too right like they like how it was always meant to be. And he has like, what, two lines, something like that. Yeah, that that is a bummer, too. But I like I, I really like it. I think it's a very effective dissection of Batman, just the entirety of Batman as a character and all the weird conflicts within the Batman character. The best telling of the Batman origin story, too, is just the <laughs> photograph of the two parents standing below a sign that says Crime, Crime Alley. Alley. Yeah. Or, yeah, Crime on, Alley. Crime Alley on, on the night of the thing, yeah. With yeah. him in the foreground taking a selfie. That's great. Uh, and last up is Air Doll, which is where a blow-up doll, like sex doll, comes to life. And it just feels sad and empty. Because it's oh. literally empty because it's just full of air. Yeah. And, you know, it's a substitute for real human affection. That, that's kind of depressing. So it just goes wandering in the streets and gets a job at a video store, like a video rental place. Okay. So it feels a kinship with the guy behind the counter. And it's still, like, at night goes home and is still a doll and is just, like, secretly has a, has a day-to-day life, like, has a day job and is just meeting people. <laughs> well and this okay. this guy not knowing uh <laughs> she just meets various t- citizens of tokyo and learns that a lot of people feel sad and empty inside it's very okay. downbeat it's very glum uh oh. but you know it's, it's lovely but yeah it's it's an extremely deeply sad movie about just feeling empty and depressed hmm. uh so those are our uh selections for the second movie what do you figure um do I need to have seen any of the other Freddies to understand New Nightmare? I don't think so. Because okay. it, it's it's very detached from the series. It's more like you've have you ever seen the first one? No, I've only seen number uh, three. You might need to have seen the first one because there is quite a bit with the first one. Uh, although, to be fair, yeah, maybe not because you've seen three and that does have Saxon and Heather Langenkamp. And that's kind of the, the essentials. Yeah, arguably no. Okay. I mean, I, I watched most of the Halloween. I think my first Halloween movie was like H2O. Right. So, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter that much to me for slashers. True. And this one is definitely like it's barely even a slasher. It's sort of more just a meta examination of the horror film and stuff. You know, that sounds more interesting than a slasher would be anyway. Let's go with that. All right, cool. So uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare as our nice. second feature. Uh, and there's only two additions to the main stacks. So real quick, other than obviously Robinson's Garden, we've got Dr. Strangelove. Oh, <laughs> my first ever Cube, Cube, him. Kubrick or Kubrick. It, it, both are fine. Kubrick is the British pronunciation. Kubrick is the American. OK, yeah, it was the first one I ever saw. And, oh, man, I loved it. It's so good. Uh, needs no introduction. Just uh, Peter Sellers here genuinely in multiple roles, and he's so funny. Oh, yeah. He's the he's the doctor, right? Uh, that's one of them. Yeah, he yeah, is Dr. Strangelove. Them, yeah. Just it, it's like, have you ever seen Failsafe, the movie that is this but serious? I don't <laughs> came out think the same so. year. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, came out the same year and uh, does Strangelove ate its lunch. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uh, okay, one more horror high, where a bullied nerd in the seventies 
he he's trying to do this experiment to turn the classic guinea pig into a giant monster uh but but he's bullied and uh, things go wrong and it he turns into a weird guinea pig okay <laughs> <laughs> to get to get his revenge on the jocks cool i guess <laughs> yeah uh It'll be some silly 70s slush. I like that kind of crap. Nice, nice. So what do you figure for our main feature next week? Well, uh, we did briefly uh, mention Zatoichi, and I keep saying that I want to watch more Zatoichi, but I keep not doing it. (laughs) Um, Because something else always just grabs my attention, and I can't seem to remember that I said it when it comes time to pick. That's fair. Uh, But yeah, yeah. Let's do Zatoichi Part 3, because I remember number two just went way further into his backstory than I expected we would in the second movie of a series. My recollection is that the third one does continue that. And then oh, after that, it's it's after the first three that it sort of becomes more episodic, that like the first three are sort of a trilogy. I think this is the one where he goes back home. Oh, cool. Yeah, because he in the last one, he had to kill his brother was it yes uh so this one i think he's going home to his village to take his ashes home at least that's my recollection but again it's been a long time since i've seen it oh yeah i know it says he uh travels to his own village but or his old village but only finds trouble be well <laughs> he ends up oh. in a love triangle what a shock <laughs> that, that happens every movie yeah yeah and finding trouble is like the only things that Uichi could ever find yeah, I mean, you got to find it. That's what he does. Yeah. It finds yeah, let's, him. Yeah. <laughs> let's finally do Zatoichi number three. All right. Uh, so that'll be fun. A new tale of Zatoichi, yeah. uh, as well as, uh, what was the other one? A new Nightmare, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. That's Ooh, an interesting pairing. Very uh, different. I, but it's got a new theme. <laughs> it's new. <laughs> it's new. It's not old. New hat. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, have you any last thoughts before we close up for this evening? I am Spartacus. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. And remember, it can put a bullet through wood, flesh, bone, metal, and through the night. <laughs>